What's up, everybody? Welcome to another week. This is the Live Life Aggressively podcast with Mr. Hogan, Mike Mahler, and our guest, our buddy, our friend, and someone who's very important and doing a lot of great things out in the world, Mr. James Pond from Transitions Global. Hey, James, how you doing, brother? Hey, I'm doing well. Yourself? Oh, I'm doing great, man. We've got to start recording all the conversations before the show, <laughs> kind of like some outtakes. <laughs> yeah, we just, we just talked about it. We just talked like, for 20 minutes, and now I'm like, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> so we didn't record any of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I'm going to just start, you know, just acting like our, our government and just start recording when you're not thinking about it. So while you guys are going on, I'm just going to record and, and then just start releasing these things. Yeah. So, James, so what's been going on with you, man, since the last time we talked? Yeah, so um, we got back from Cambodia in late July, and I have literally been on the road the entire time. Um, this is the first time we've had kind of a long stretch in Cincinnati, so I think we've got about a week and a half. Um, but over that, over the last seven, eight weeks, um, we've been traveling around, mostly just kind of talking about transitions to some different folks. We had a couple of events, but um, I had two very interesting weeks we spent in the Bay Area of California. Um, we were commissioned to do a study out there on human trafficking in the Bay Area of American teenagers. And um, it, was, it was extremely interesting uh, meeting with law enforcement, social services, some of the uh, juvenile judges, and really getting a sense of what's happening um, with American teenagers, um, gang activity, organized crime, and efforts to actually help um, kids on our own soil. And I think a lot of times we don't even – put into place and think that a lot of that is going on right here in the U.S., especially just with the human trafficking that's going on. Most of the time we see things on the movies and we automatically think, okay, that's happening over in Europe. That's going on in Asia. That's not really happening over here. Yeah. Uh, how, what, are, what, how, what are the common ways that human trafficking happens in the U.S.? Is it something where it's, 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 a, it's a house in a neighborhood where, where people are being kept in the basement? Is it through some kind of business? I mean, how exactly is this happening like right in front of us? Well, so, so this is where it gets a little bit, a little bit dicey because there's the standard way. So you've obviously got like international trafficking, girls from Thailand and Eastern Europe and uh, Mexico are brought in, you know, mulled in and, and smuggled into the country, and then they're kept in – you know, um, hotels, um, you know, warehouses and shipping yards and places where it can be easily hid. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and then obviously you've got cases like, you know, Elizabeth Smart, uh, the three, the three women that were held in um, Ohio, Ohio for, you know, yeah. nine, 10 and 11 years. Yeah. Right. Um, but, but then there's this more, it, it's, it, it's hard to get your head around. And so this is what we're seeing happen in the United States. So you've got, these these families that there's a high level of dysfunction so it's you know um single parent families which you know god bless any any single parent who's trying to raise kids and 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 do it well um but you know single families uh domestic violence in the home drug and alcohol abuse early childhood sexual abuse which you know we, we talked about the last time and and you've got these kids coming from this kind of atmosphere and so now they're out in the in the public forum and they are prey for these pimps to come in, talk these girls into some kind of lifestyle that doesn't exist, get them outside of their element. So what we were seeing is a lot of girls were being recruited from uh, Oakland and Sacramento and then taken into the Bay Area, which, which doesn't sound foreign, but you know, w- when you live in a state and you're used to being in one city and you've got kind of one locus that you're used to sort of 
um, adapting to and someone moves you and puts you somewhere else. Like the difference between, you know, Houston and Dallas is very different. Right. And so these kids are being moved into another city. Um, they're being run out on the streets on, you know, Craigslist, my red book, um, you know, some of these other internet sites. And these girls are literally being, you know, raped for profit, you know, 10, 12, 15 times a day. And it's flying under the American public's nose because it looks like a nuisance problem. It looks like youth prostitution, which is about as insane as it can possibly be to say that a youth has an agency or ability to exploit themselves, right. Um, right. happening on an epidemic level. And it's, and it's making these pimps and traffickers a crap load of money. Is it just lack of manpower? Why the stuff is not being enforced? Why, why more police are not taking charge of this? I, or, is it, I, or is it like what you'll deserve? Like you said, it's one of those things where it's not quite clear what it even is on a surface level. Yeah, it's like I mean, what they're actually of, having to look for. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a both and. I think, um, I think one, there's not enough police officers. Um, you know, in San Jose alone, they said that they had a loss of over 500 police officers over uh, some kind of pension issue. Hmm. So, um, you know, the, the pimps actually from the outer side of the Bay Area realize they're short 500 officers. They can't even do regular patrols. So um, they've actually got, you know, girls being run into San Jose knowing that there's inadequate law enforcement. Now, in other cities, I think there's a lack of training. So officers don't even really know what to look for oftentimes. Right. Um, lack of human resources, because when this stuff happens on the Internet, I mean, God, you guys are in the fitness industry. Look at how many websites are out there with a bunch of frauds running a fitness website. Right, you know, like imagine right. if someone were responsible for just trolling the frauds. So <laughs> yeah. um, um, that, that's a conversation in itself. <laughs> uh, yeah. But the same thing's happening in the commercial sex industry is that these websites can pop up and be taken down faster than law enforcement can keep up with it. And, and sex is something that happens outside of our purview. So it's happening in, in people's um, you know, homes, it's happening in hotels, it's happening in truck stops. Um, it's just a really hard to enforce problem. And, and most of the kids that this is happening to, and it's sad to say, society looks at these kids as, as throwaway children. Right, right. right. So, um, Almost you know, as to say, it's like they brought it on themselves or it's their own fault or this is what they children to do or something like that. Right, right. <laughs> and, and how you can possibly say that about, you know, like we were in, in the Bay Area, um, uh, there were three 14-year-old girls the week that we were there that, that were being brought in. Um, I mean, you've got a 14-year-old daughter. I've got two daughters. I can't imagine at 14 them saying, you know, I really want to grow up to be a prostitute someday and, right. and going out and doing that to themselves. Something right. horrible has to happen to a person to bring a kid to that point. Right. And, um, so what we're seeing is we're seeing cities uh, starting to develop protocols for how to start to address this problem. San Jose and, uh, and the Santa Clara County are actually working uh, to develop a, a strong protocol for how they're going to investigate, recover children, and then help them in the process post-rescue. Uh, and so we were out there sort of walking through that process so we can put this report together uh, and make some recommendations for this protocol to be effective. What do you think people can do as just regular people on a – what do you think regular citizens in America, for example, can do? Well, one of the things is I really believe Americans need to start um, talking to their local politicians. Um, and this is something – you know, I'm usually not big on you know, just calling your senator and your congressman, but 
Um, it, find out who your district politicians are and start asking them to be accountable for what's happening to these kids in, in your city. Um, and it has to really start there. Um, I think citizens can look for local agencies in their area that are addressing issues of um, underage sex trafficking um, and get involved with those agencies as well. Um, if anyone wants more information or they want to know how they can get involved, they can certainly get in touch with us um, via our website or, um, or Facebook, and I'll try to steer them in a direction. But um, I would say most cities have something going on. Um, they just need to find out where in their city, like in Houston, sincere, there's a huge task force there. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and these guys, they work hard. I mean, I, I believe we yeah. talked in the last conversation that we had with you. I was telling you about, like, they would have these little, oh, man, they would have these little clubs set up in it, these little dance clubs. So basically these old guys would go in to these, these so-called clubs or whatever. They dance with young girls. And, I'm, like, how freaking nasty is that so they would go yeah. and these girls are probably like 13 14 and um it's predominantly in the hispanic area of houston but I'm not just saying it's only hispanic men that are doing this but right. this is pretty much where most of these these houses are found they'll go and they'll dance with these girls and we god knows what else happens after that and i know this task force they've busted these rings so many times you see them in the news so much around here in houston and i'm seems like every time there's a big sex trafficking ring or pro, teen prostitution ring or whatever is happening in the country, it's always a probably, probably about a good percentage of those guys busted that are right here in Texas, right in Houston, Dallas, um, San Antonio, and or nearby New Orleans and Shreveport and Louisiana as well because it's just crazy that yeah. it's pretty much happening so much right here in this area. Yeah. yeah. But, again, well, it's not as crazy because right across – we're right next to Mexico right here. Right. So, I mean, we're pretty much – our border is right there, so a lot of this is coming from down south, meaning beyond the southern part of North America. I'm talking about Central America and, and South America, and this is like one of the first stops they're going to have right here. Us, Florida, California, Arizona, pretty much anyone along those states right there where, where the border is located. Yeah, yeah. Well, and Houston has an extremely effective task force. They've got lots of people, lots of agencies really working on this issue, mm -hmm. whereas a, a state like California that has an overwhelming population and has some major, you know, economic problems with right. the recession and, and they can't seem to get their budget under control, um, are just having a massive amount of problems really getting a coordinated effort on a statewide basis. So right. they've got a, effective pockets like San Diego and Oakland are doing a great job. Other areas are really struggling just by lack of manpower and, and a lack of really understanding how uh, the issues happening in their city and what that response needs to look like. And then from a, from a home standpoint, James, do you think it's also great for parents to start just to have conversations with the kids, not so much about the ins and outs of sex trafficking itself, but just continue to have some dialogue with the kids, communicating with them, letting them know that, hey, the door is open, I'm always here to talk to you. And then also at the same time, even for those who – to also keep the communications open between their kids, their friends, when their friends come over. Because they may have friends who may have that single parent, you know, home, or also these kids just kind of like they're trying to just find their way. So a way for us just to be a little bit more aware of parents, just to, as parents, to just kind of see these different signs that well, there may know, be another kid needing help. One of the things I, rec I always recommend to parents, because I, I, I think it's a challenge for parents these days to have verbal conversations with their kids. I know more parents that text with their kids more often than they actually speak, yeah. is you really need to know, 
you know, it's, it's fine to have an open relationship with your kids and, and give them, you know, adult liberties to start, you know, going out and, 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 you know, exercising their, you know, young adult years and learning right. to, you know, get out and all that, but you really need to know who your kids' friends are. Exactly. Um, you know, I think a lot of times things go down with their kids and they don't know the first person to look to. Um, it, they don't know yeah, who their crazy. kids' friends are or how to reach them. Yeah. I mean, times have changed, man. There was times like if we, if we were late coming home as kids, our parents knew exactly who to call. They would call right. our friend's house and like, hey, is James over there? <laughs> Come yeah, get his exactly. butt home. But you know, yeah, also a lot of a lot of kids are really smart too. Sincere, I mean, I don't I don't know how much yeah. I don't I don't know how much you want to say about your teenage years, but I'll I'll, I'll reveal a little bit about mine. Where <laughs> I mean, I I used well, to break stories, out, I, used, yeah, I used to sneak out of my house in the middle of the night like I was breaking out an episode of Prison Break, and I'm like, <laughs> like okay, my parents are asleep. Let me let, let me open up this sliding door here and shut it just this way. If I take this route, I won't make that much noise in the backyard, so they won't hear anything. And I'll make sure that my dog doesn't bark because I'll come in this way. You know, you, you come up with all these plans because you're yeah, just you're just looking happens. to break out. You're like you're like I'm 14 and I don't want to sit at home on a Friday night, but I'm not allowed to go anywhere. But that's not going to stop me. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. time to go meet some buddies in the woods, get a couple drinks, you know that kind of but, stuff. So I mean. The difference is back then, if you disappeared and went out with your friends, your parents had to just wait for you to come home. Right now, right. you can actually ping their cell phone. Or they're going to post on Facebook where they are, and you're going to know. <laughs> that's true. Well, you know that's how a lot of that's how a lot of idiot cons are getting caught because they're if you got these criminals that are posting their activities that is, on Facebook, and that, that is the reason that why most of them so are criminals dumb. because they weren't the smartest person yeah, in the yeah, classroom. Good point. Good point. <laughs> but you know, but that 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 that's almost hard for me to believe as I'm saying it that that actually happened. But I, I've actually had people that are in Secret Service and other areas tell me this. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. It's like, you're trying to tell me that someone robbed someone's house and, and posted that they just did that? And yeah. it's, not, it's not always that blatant, but it, it, it infers that. It's like, oh, <laughs> it'll, have, it'll, it'll be something like, score, much. look what I just got. It'll be like, obviously, a bunch of stolen material. I was like, oh, my God. You got some. Or you got the one idiot who records it, who actually, like, videotapes <laughs> himself doing yeah. something. Even, they're even teenagers that do the same thing. And, and then they want to post it, and you put it up on YouTube so you can go viral. Come on, dude. Just walk up to the police station and just say, hey. I did something crazy. This is what I did. Arrest me now. And by the way, let me post this video first so I can go viral. <laughs> They're going to find you anyway. Well, and a, and, a, and, a not, and not funny example at all is when I think that I, that happened in Texas. I believe our mutual friend, Sincere, Lisa Schaefer, was telling me about some guys. I want to say they were on some kind of football team who gang raped a girl yeah, and, yeah, and videotaped yeah. it and put it up on YouTube. I mean, I think, they, I think it was taken off YouTube immediately, but it was put up temporarily for a while, and it was put up online. But James, do you feel that there's do you feel that today's generation of teenagers are much different than the pre-internet generation of teenagers or is it really just the same kind of person with just just living in a different world? I mean, I, I you know, I think it goes back to our earlier conversation about, you know, the more things change, um, you know, the, the more they change. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. Exactly. I, I would, I would love to say that teenagers are the same kind of through and through, and I, and I think there's similarities. Obviously, you know, there's normal growth things, and I think it's the same kinds of issues. Everyone wants to be accepted. Um, you know, you have the same kinds of teenage issues going on. But I think that the, the Internet and our access to information has definitely changed 
young people yeah. and, and the no way that their brain is, is maturing and the way that they're processing information. Um, well, like, like you said, just with the access to pornography, I mean, you yeah. can type in whatever in Google right now and bam, you'll get all kinds of free pornography. So well, anyone with Facebook internet now, Facebook, yeah, <laughs> they, they let it happen now. But but also, I think the other I think the other thing is that we we really live in this this ostentatious society, and I think that's what Facebook feeds off of in a lot of ways. Is that everyone's trying to get their little attention? A lot of people try to make their Facebook page a reality TV channel, and right. uh, I don't have any friends on my Facebook that are teenagers, <laughs> so I'm not I'm not aware of what they. And I only have a professional page, so I don't know what teenagers are putting up on their Facebook pages, but just looking at a lot of adults that are acting like that. They, yeah, they're they, they're yeah, noting right. every nuance of their day. The they're, putting, they're putting up provocative photos so they can get a lot of likes and, oh, you're so hot or, oh, you got a great body. You know, we see that kind of stuff all the time. So I have to imagine that's probably exponentially higher with the younger generation. So I have to wonder how much of these horrendous activities people do is some sadistic way of just getting attention for their activities. Like, oh, let's go gang rape a girl and film it and put it up online because we're going to get attention for doing that. Oh, ab- absolutely. Oh, yeah. and, and we live in – think about the amount of information overload. I mean we kind of came from the MTV generation where everything is kind of right. music videos, you know, yeah. and, and it, nothing like MTV to you know, ruin a good song for you. Um, <laughs> but – and and we were getting a lot of information. Like it was kind of the first time we were we were seeing information from kind of all around the world. We were you know start sorting through and processing. And now teenagers not only have you know 250 channels on on cable if they even watch TV. I mean most teenagers don't don't watch television. Everything is online. Right. And right. It, it, you know just the pornography example. They say the average 10 to 12 year old when he begins looking at pornography is processing almost 80 images a minute. So you know you've got this this overload of, of information, um, positive and negative. And I don't even know how a young brain processes all of that. So right. you know I, I kind of feel like it goes kind of into a dumpster and it gets all blended up, and yeah. we end up with kids with you know all kinds of you know, behavioral and psychological problems. And then, you know, we go, oh, well, I wonder why that is. Yeah. I, I think our kids are on overload. Yeah, right. I, think, I, think, I think it's stressful, actually, that, that the amount of information people have access to, I really feel it causes a level of anxiety. And Sincere and I come across that all the time with people that come to us for help because they're inundated with so many different nutrition ideas, training ideas, and they don't know what to do with all of that. Yeah. They don't have it's the time. Like to taking, it's it like all. taking an eighth grade level of, of learning and trying to just dump it on a first grade on his first day. <laughs> right. Like right. here right. you go. We're gonna yeah. do calculus today. He's like, dude, I just learned how to like add one and one. Back up. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. And so you know, and if adults are having a hard time sifting through information on you know fitness and, and nutrition and um, you know sleep and lifestyle, imagine what that does to a, to a child's brain right. who who hasn't even learned to process simple kinds of adult concepts like sex and relationships and what's appropriate kinds of communication. Cause I think most of what teenagers do is barf all the stuff that they used to talk to their friends about um, onto Facebook and hope that, you know, like you were saying, Mike, that someone cares. If someone likes right. it, all of a sudden it's right. important. Whether it's no positive or negative attention, they just want attention. Yeah. So want attention. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad I didn't grow up in the internet age, honestly. 
you know, as oh, a teenager yeah. and so forth. Because look, dude, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah. Look, the biggest the biggest thing I had to deal with as a teenager was actually having to call my cable company and tell them that I want my MTV. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> no, I mean, was, I mean, it was like my first political cause, you know, in my life. Because and it's so funny that there are people who like probably 10 years younger that's like, what the hell are you talking about? Believe it or not, there was a time where we couldn't have access to MTV. There were so many factions out there that felt like it was going to – and it's so crazy how, in hindsight, how they predicted this, how corrupt MTV would become on our generation. Well, during our generation, everything was kind of cool with MTV. It was like, hey, here are the videos that go with the music that you like. Oh, let's kind of teach you – let's show you guys about fashion and this, that, and the other. And we're like, oh, wow, so there's a different world out there beyond our home, our family, our community, our city. And so we got to see everything through that for those of us who didn't get a chance, you know, to travel around the world. And we kind of just vicariously lived through that, you know. But here it is, fast forward 30 years later, it's like it has become this, this, this machine that has kind of played off a lot of things we're talking about as far as, like, the Internet and all this information overload has been thrown and thrown. And then also these little mini reality shows and everyone's just trying to outdo each other and outshine each other just to kind of get that attention. So now MTV, they need to just drop the M out of TV anyway. Right. I mean, when's the last time you actually heard some music played on there, on that channel? Never. So it needs to be like CTV, which is crap TV, for the most part. Because, <laughs> I mean, now, they're focusing now on 16 and pregnant. Dude, it's, I mean, you've made a show around this. You're glorifying this. Right. You're, all, you're, you're practically telling these kids it's okay. Not only is it okay for you to start becoming promiscuous at an early age, we can also make you a star if you do. Right, right. So, like, look at that message right there. All that for profit. Well, that, that, that's the problem with all, a lot of these reality TV shows, right? Something like the Jersey Shore where now kids are going, great, if I act like a buffoon, I could be a millionaire <laughs> like these people. Yeah. Now you're I mean, encouraged to go I mean, out there. They're book deals. They're on, they're on other TV shows. And they're like, well, wait a minute. Why, am I, why would I bust my ass in school just to go to college and get a degree when I keep hearing that most of these folks even have a job? And then Snooki, <laughs> she's got a book deal, and she's got – these endorsements, and now she's losing weight. And now, if I starve myself, I can also get a big deal with Weight Watchers or someone. Hell yeah! Why not? Yeah. <laughs> you know, James. Uh, James, uh, one of our guests a couple episodes ago, Bruce Buffer, the ring announcer for the UFC. He yeah. made a really good point about how kids don't really have any real viable role models right, right now. Oh. He said he, he feels really bad for young people now because he felt that he had a lot of role models growing up, not just his father, but just even some of the popular actors were like people you wanted to aspire to be like. They're just, they're just a different breed. Well, how do you feel about that? Do you think you, would you agree with that? I, you know, I absolutely do. I, wh- yeah. One of the things I was going to say is, you know, part of this conversation was when you had kind of one outlet, like when MTV said this is really fashionable and cool, it was kind of one voice. So you could either right. be the dissenter and, and say, no, I'm going to do it my way, or, or you were lemming and, and you did it, and we were you know, all hip and vogue and whatever. Mm-hmm. But now I think with the, with the onset of you know, social media and the Internet and all that, is opinions are so varied, and that includes even, even role models. You look at someone like uh, you know, Dwayne Johnson, and you go, is he a role model? Well, not really. He's not out front doing anything that shows any kind of character. I think kids are given a lot of really weak and lousy role models. I, I had good ones when I was growing up. I had, you know, uh, you know, William Shatner and Chuck Norris and, you know, <laughs> like noble guys. They, they, right. they, yeah. they looked to do the right thing. They yeah. Were, yeah. were ethical. They were upstanding. They were gentlemen. Um, no, William, William Shatner is a really good one because, I mean, I, I wrote about 
him as as Captain Kirk in Star Trek Three and all the sacrifices he made to go help to go try to save Spock and all that. Right? I, yeah. started, I mean, I went into total Trekkie dork mode in that chapter, and I'm going on and on about you know how badass Captain Kirk is. Right now. But you know, I, yeah. I had I, I had people actually email me and said that they were really moved by that chapter. They'd never been Star Trek fans before, but yeah. that got them. They're like, wow, I never looked at that show that way or that character that way. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Um, but but to me, I'm with you on that one. I always felt that you know, watching Cap- William Shatner's Captain Kirk, he was the guy who was that smooth dude. He got the ladies, but he wasn't. He wasn't a crude person with the ladies, you know. He was, yeah, he, was he was a, a real charmer. Yeah, he was a real <laughs> charmer, but he wasn't a slimy dude, right? So you could so that made, that made him even more admirable. And then, yeah. and then he was a guy like all of the people who worked for him were they they followed him not because it was their job, but because he was the leader. They they, they were the guy they they, they trusted believed in him. him. Yeah, they know? trusted him and they believed in him, and that that was what Star Trek Three showed really well, where he steals the Enterprise and the whole crew goes along with him. They take the risk with him. To go on this adventure, so I mean, yeah, yeah I, I know what you mean. I know what you yeah. mean. That, that that's a, that you're bringing up some interesting points. Chuck Norris too. I mean, how could you not like Chuck Norris growing up? Oh, okay. it's, and it's so funny. It's so funny. I was laugh. watching. Um, there's a show called um, Revolution, and so pretty much it's kind of few years from now, set in the future, where this blackout or whatever. It was so funny. These guys got captured, and this is after this blackout. We pretty much had to start from scratch, which is one of those things I kind of talk about when you talk about EMPs, you know, electromagnetic pulse, which is pretty much fry anything with a circuit board, put us back into the dark ages, as they say. But I actually, sometimes I actually wish that would happen because then we wouldn't have these issues that we're talking about right now. We would actually have to rely on each other as a community like we had to do before technology pretty much separated us more than brought us together. So anyway, the guy was asking the other guy, like, okay, why did you take on the job of being sheriff? He goes, well, my dad was telling me about this, this, this ranger, this ranger that lived, that was from like the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and how this dude was very upstanding. Everyone loved him. He was a man of integrity, and all he ever wanted to do was help people. And so the other guy asked, okay, who is this, this ranger you speak of? Oh, his last name was Walker. And so he's kind of looking at him. He's like, <laughs> Walker? He goes, yes. He's like, as in Walker, Texas Ranger? He goes, yeah. And so the thing is, since, the, since television had pretty much been fried, he just got didn't realize this was a TV show. So what it is, dad passed on this story just as an example, not telling him it was a TV show. So in his mind, he thought this was a real upstanding guy, and he wanted to be like that guy. So it's so crazy, and that makes you think of just Chuck Norris, pretty much all his characters, even when he's getting his ass kicked by Bruce Lee, somehow you still want to be on Chuck's team. <laughs> you feel like, you're, you're kind of like, damn, Chuck, this is Bruce Lee, dude. I mean, I'm still down for you, but, yeah, you're going to get your butt kicked, but you're Chuck, you're Chuck Norris. At least you yeah. stood up to him. At least you tried to fight Bruce Lee. So it's just yeah. something about him, man. It's just You want to look up to Chuck. Why else is people still to this day like Chuck, all these Chuck Norris jokes? Yeah, I think people, I think people diminish the, the effect that a really good movie or show can have on someone. Oh, yeah. Because, oh, yeah. I mean, when, when you have these really strong characters that are stuck in tough situations where they have to make hard decisions and they persevere through it, I mean, that, that's a message that's going into your subconscious. Exactly. Absolutely. And, and look, at, you know, look at what this generation has in terms of a lot of the, the movies and TV shows. The, the hero is, is pretty occluded. Like, you don't even know who, who's really doing the right thing. You, you know, it's right. like, it's, it's well, like in most situations, like you don't even have a hero anymore. It's, yeah, it's a lot of anti-heroes. A good story yeah. has a protagonist and an antagonist. They have the villain and they have the hero. But almost everything, especially when it comes to reality TV, seems like everyone is a freaking villain. 
They're all and the biggest villain, and okay. it's them against themselves. So their their personality <laughs> that they're showing on the show is the villain that's trying to destroy this person along with all the viewers. <laughs> so there, they're, there's no they're, hero. The only hero is yourself when you cancel your cable. Sincere, <laughs> so, remember remember that show. Remember that show, New York. Sincere. That that kind of. That that's like that 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 one lady that was on the Flavor Flav reality show. Oh my York, God! The wow. show. She she sought personifies what you just said right there. That's exactly. what came to mind. You know, <laughs> people so, just vilifying themselves to get fame on television. Exactly. So yeah, James, make you and I feel great as parents right now. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, madness we have to deal with right here. So. Can you just you imagine? Did, you did a, you did a, I mean, a great job. And sincere, you're a great father too. I'm saying you guys have done a good job with your kids. So, what, what do you think that you both did that was to just kind of not necessarily shield your respective children from all this stuff, but kind of steer them in a better direction? James, well, yeah, James, you go first, brother. Yeah, I mean, I think sincere touched on it a little bit earlier. I think a lot of it really has to do with communication. We. We didn't just let our kids, you know, just go crazy and do whatever they wanted to do. We um, we had made them give us um, access to well, back back in the day, MySpace that, that dates us a little bit, and um, you know, we wanted to know who their friends were. We wanted to know what was going on in their lives, and we had regular sit downs where you know you turn the computers and, and cell phones off and you sit and you have a meal together and you talk. Um, you know, we knew who the friends were. We knew what they were doing. We had conversations with them about what we felt were the the dangers of being on the internet. Um, you know, without being sensational or overselling it. Um, but I think it was it was just trying to be a part of their lives and and show that we cared and to be involved and engaged. Um, you know, because it's it's a it's a kind of behavior that I think causes a lot of kids to recluse. And right. so you've got to kind of draw your kids out of a, a shell and really participate in their lives intentionally. Right. And I think one of the biggest things you can do as a parent and what worked with me is like my parents never tried to be my, my friends. They never tried to be so hip just to show that they were cool. They gave it to me straight and they let me know like, hey, I'm the parent. But at the same time, they I, – I guess you could say that my parents were strict, but they weren't in my opinion, especially as I've gotten older. And I think my kids pretty much say the same thing. It's just like, no – People confuse strict with not taking any shit. And then that's what my parents were, man. They didn't take any mess, and they let me know it. But at the same time, what they did do, they showed, they showed me respect. So I think one of, the biggest, one of the biggest things that really helped me as a parent is having a good example to fall, you know, to, to draw from. Yeah, the love was there and the respect was there. And I think when you come from a place of respect and just show your kids, hey, I respect who you are as an individual. I'm not going to try to force you to be this person or that person. Find out who you are. Find out what, you know, gets you going. Find the things that, that interest you and find out what your talents are and roll with that. It's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Mike, with um, Daniel Coyle. It's right. not so much as trying to praise your kids for something they're great at and call them a genius at that thing. It's, it's to praise their effort. And it's just one of the things that I've pretty much done with my kids all the time, and I let them – be their individual selves at the same time was there like, hey, the communication was always there from when they were very, very young and not try to sugarcoat things and try to come up with all these little words to try to shield them from, from life and thinking that, oh, that's a little too much. But at the same time, not give them too much where it's beyond the scope of where they are in their maturity level, not their age, but their maturity level. And I think yeah. that's where it gets you know, a little tricky for a lot of people is they'll think like, well, I don't want to talk about that because you're a child. Right. Well, yeah that's going to make them rebel right off the bat because now they have to try to prove to you that they're not a child. They want to prove to you that they deserve respect and to be spoken to with respect. And they just go about it the wrong way. 
So yeah. I think, like I said, when it comes down, just give them that respect of being individuals, and at the same time, give them the love of, of communicating and showing that they're not alone at the same time. So yeah. and I think that plays a big part of it. And even with kids that are not yours, even with your, the kids who are friends with your children, to also show them, like, hey, here's an adult. I'm rooting for you. If you ever need to talk, you can talk to me as well. I can, you know, step in. I can be a mentor when your parents are not, you know, not around or just let you know that you're not alone. Even yeah. if, it's, you know, even if they really have a great relationship with their parents, just show them, like, hey, there's a sense of community right here. You're a part of our family as well because you're friends with my kids. So that makes you a part of our family. And just leave that door open for them to always know that. And they can come to you as well because there are some things that our kids' friends can talk to us about that they're not necessarily ready to talk to their parents about. But at the same time, we can find a way to communicate that with them and their parents as well. Yeah. You know what? I, I would drive one of the points you made home because it's so important. I think you, you hit it on the head, which is your, your parents never tried to be your friend. Right. I, I think so many parents want to be as cool as their kids and some kind of effort. Like it, it's right. going to make, make them better parents. Right. And it, it's not. Your kids want you to be a parent. Mm-hmm. not to try to be as cool as they are. They really want you to set boundaries, be involved and engaged in their life. Even though they'll fight you on it, they'll tell you later in life that they really appreciated you being there yeah. and supporting them in that uh, way. President, President Reagan made a really good point about that in an interview, talking about how a lot of kids are looking to their parents. Like they'll, 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 have, they'll, they'll, they'll be getting peer pressure from friends, and they're looking to their parents to say, no, you can't do that, so right. that they don't have to turn it down themselves. And then get made fun of and all that. They can say, oh, good. Thank God my parents said I can't go do that. So now I have an out. Exactly. And, and, and that how a lot of parents – Reagan went on to say a lot of parents are failing their kids by just what you said, James, that they're trying to be their kids' friends and saying, oh, yeah, go do that. Go be the cool person. Yeah. Exactly. It's not, not going to work. Well, yeah. Mike, going, going back to your earlier point about role models, I mean, so what, is, what does a younger generation do to, you know, to – develop some, some role models or, or to find mentors in their life that can help steer them in a positive direction? That's a good question. I don't, I don't really know what they – I mean, I think there's, there's definitely still role models out there. I think you just have to – you have to look at it from different avenues. Like, for example, you know, like my – one of the coaches I work with, Mark Philippi, he's a really good guy. And I, I feel like not only is he a, a great role model for his kids, he's a great role model for every kid who comes in that place. So it's like these role models are, are, are out there, but you may find them through means that were not as traditional. A lot of martial arts academies have right. great role models, good instructors. I think martial arts is one of the best things you can put your kid into. Find a really good instructor. You learn a discipline. You learn confidence. You know, when you learn fighting skills, that makes you way more confident than the average person who doesn't have those skills. In fact, most, most people that go to bars and cause trouble are people that are trying to overcompensate. Yeah, it's that's not because their though. testosterone is too high, right? That's often the myth we hear. It's like, oh, that guy's got too much testosterone. It's like, no, 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 he doesn't have enough. Or what he has yeah. is converting to estrogen. Because yeah. when you have optimal testosterone, optimal testosterone to estrogen ratio, you're not looking to go out there and bully anybody. If anything, you're kind of the protector mode now. Yeah. You go, you go, yeah. You're the guy who's going to go to the bar and be like, huh, that girl looks like she's being hassled by that guy. Maybe I should go over there and say something. Or... Huh, these guys look like they're getting out of control over here. I'm going to keep my eye on them in case anything goes down. You know, you become that guy. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> You're not right. becoming that guy. You start going to Jack Bauer mode right Yeah, there. yeah, yeah, exactly. You're like, this is Jack Bauer. You're, you're ready for stuff to go down so you can, you can be the hero of the day but not cause it. 
And I think that's a big difference right there. So I, I think there are role models out there, but let's, let's find these people in the real world. But I, I, think, I think getting martial arts, gymnastics, certain, certain physical activities which require a discipline where you have a very good instructor, I think yeah. that, that'll go a long way, in my opinion, for developing confidence and just being in a more positive environment. Because I think one of the things that really helps kids stay out of trouble is immersing themselves in some kind of discipline like that. Like a friend of mine, Steve Maxwell, who's a well-known strength coach, uh, he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, one of the first black belts under the Gracie family. And his kids grew up in a very physical environment. And his son really got into jiu-jitsu. And as a result, he never, I mean, he, he, I'm sure he went out there and caused some trouble as a kid, like most do, but he never got into any really serious trouble because he was always so focused on excelling at jiu-jitsu. He, was, he, was, he would hang out with other people that were similar-minded. He would compete in tournaments. He enjoyed physical training. He had his father as a role model for that. But now, not only his father, but other people at the academy. Right. So I think, I think it takes, it takes a, as they say, it takes a village to right. raise a kid. I think you have to find your own village, not necessarily your neighborhood where you live. But putting, your, putting kids into a positive right community is, I think, going to go a long way. Because Hicks and Gracie once said that you, know, you as an individual, you're just one stick, right? You can break that in half easily. But when you put five or six people together that are similar-minded, you're not going to – now it's like five or six sticks in your hands. You're not going to be able to break that. You become unbreakable at that point. And also what happens is you have, you have, you have, you're looking at people, and they're looking at you. So you're finding role models, but they're also looking at you. So you start staring off, off the right path. They're going to see that. So you may be someone at the academy, and you're causing some trouble one night, and someone from the academy sees you and says, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? You know, so you're, you're more accountable to things as well. It's like, in other words, the more, the more part of a community you're immersed in, the more you play a role in it, and also the more accountability you have from it. Right. Very true. Can, can I add one more thing to that, Mike? And Mike was saying, um, you know, I agree as far as martial arts or some type of sports activity, but also one of the things that I have to say that there are certain elements where our kids in this generation can find mentors. There are, those elements are under attack right now, and those elements being the arts whether it be sports, whether it be music, whether it be art itself, any avenue for creativity right now is under attack in our education system. So here you have another aspect where they have these positive influences that can really help them stimulate creativity for, for good and not trying to create, get some creativity in negative ways, like getting out in the streets, joining gangs, and things like that. You're taking away avenues that give them the opportunity to be creative, use their minds to have that discipline, to have something to do. Most of the time when most kids are involved in negative situations, whether it be crime, whether it be gangs, whether it be prostitution or something like that, it's because they, they, they weren't encouraged to be creative. They didn't have an avenue to express themselves, and they were oppressed whenever they tried to do it, so they, had, they began to act out. So, or they didn't, have, they didn't have a situation where they had to have some type of discipline especially if something that they're really, really interested in. So I think one of the biggest disservices that we can do to ourselves and our, and our future generations right now is to try to, con- is to continue to destroy and bring down avenues where the arts and any type of creative aspect is there for our children. Because what you're doing, you're not only removing an avenue for their talents and their creativity, you're also removing more positive influences that can be in their lives and really steer them in the right direction to where they can actually add something to the society and not bring it down. 
Yeah, so, and in and in an area where kids are going to feel most connected to those things. Exactly. Yeah. They go yeah. find more like-minded individuals and realize, hey, it's not just me. Hey, there's somebody else, and you get me. You understand me. And what's happening when those things are taken away from them, they have that same attitude, but in a negative way. So when they're out there in the streets and they're just kind of hanging out and loitering and kind of getting into a bad crowd, where in their mind they're saying themselves like, well, this dude, he understands where I'm coming from because here's another kid who's also been ostracized for being creative or talented, and they got all this pent-up energy where they can't, they have no, they don't have an arena to express that. So now they're thinking like, oh yeah, you get me, you understand what it's like, and now it's being done for the wrong things. So. My thing is don't shut those doors on these kids. And right. if you're in a community where you can actively support the arts in some way, somehow, it doesn't necessarily always have to be monetarily. Just, just get out there, set up events, go to charities, fundraise, volunteer, something like that. Even if you don't have a kid yourself, trust me, you don't understand the impact that you're making right there. And it's not about what you're going to get, you know, what can you get from doing that right then and there. It's about investing in these kids' future, man, and just investing in who they are as individuals. Yeah, I think I think what happens also is what Sincere is talking about is how you you have so much energy as a young person, and if it's not if it's not directed towards something useful, it's going to go to something unuseful, and that happens yeah. all the time. So you might you might have all this energy, and it's, you're not immersing yourself in any activities, so you're just sitting around watching a lot of garbage TV now. So now you have all this energy that becomes a high level of anxiety because there's not it's not being directed anywhere useful. You're being just uh, inundated with all this garbage from whatever the mediums are around you, whether it's through the internet or through television. And then that's just making the problem even worse. So I think that as a young person, if you don't have an outlet to get that energy out there to express yourself and what Sincere was talking about, then that's going to create a lot of anxiety. It's going to create some depression. And then a lot of bad decisions are going to come from that. Right. You don't make a lot of good decisions when you have a lot of anxiety and depression. It's usually going to be some poor decisions at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Can you just imagine you, you're a teenager? You already have hormones working for you. Right. Against right. you. They're working right. for you because they're doing what they're supposed to do. But can you just imagine you already have this natural buildup of energy already happening, and that's already, already stimulating your body and your mind. But then you watch all this television, then you're on the Internet, and you have these cell phones, you have Xbox, you have all these other outside sources of stimulation going on there. So you got stimulation overload. Dude, you've got to dump that somewhere. Otherwise, you're just going to go crazy. Right. You know, and then next thing you know, it's being diagnosed as ADHD or something like that. No, get the kid an outlet first before you drug him up. <laughs> right, right, right. Every, every guy has attention deficit disorder. So <laughs> yeah, every, every, man, yeah, every man on the planet probably has attention deficit disorder. And guess what? It never and, goes away. Yeah if, yeah, if I didn't work out hard, I would be that anxiety person too and that depressed person or that irritable person to be around. That's, that's who I would be as well if I didn't have a physical outlet, because I, I need that. I need to have this, these intense experiences throughout the week, pushing myself physically and so forth, because that's good for my mental health as well. And, you know, and I'm 40, so someone who's 15, 16, they need that a lot more than I do. <laughs> you know, they, 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 really, they really need that. So if, if I'm someone who becomes that person after a couple of days of not training, you know, imagine someone half my age or younger, they're going to yeah. become a total nut job. And it's, it's yeah. only going to go to bad no, the energy is not being directed to something useful. It's going to go to something that's not useful at all because you're not, you're not, you're not really, you don't, you're not well equipped to make good decisions as a young person. You know, that's where parents can, can kind of guide you. But you just, 
the pa- parents can't control every single action you have either. So it's, it's other, otherwise you're, you're training, you're, you're raising your kids in this kind of military environment, which I don't think is healthy either. I've seen that where, where basically it's yes, sir, no, ma'am, you know, that kind of stuff. And these kids eventually get to an age where they just blow up. I mean, I, I had, I know a lady who was raised in that kind of environment where, I mean, she couldn't make a move without getting permission from her parents, whether it was where, where to sit at a table or when, when to go to the bathroom, et cetera. And she said when she became a teenager, she just couldn't take it anymore. And that's when she became a drug addict, started with alcohol and marijuana, and then it, then it gravitated towards methamphetamines. And it was, it was all downhill from there. It became really bad. So I think a certain amount of discipline has to be there, but I think you can overdo that as well. And I think yeah, she came yeah. from an example of that. Like you don't want to necessarily be your kid's friend, but you don't necessarily want to be their Mussolini either. You don't want to be the dictator. But young people naturally want to rebel anyway. You know, they naturally want to rebel and form their own identity. That, that's, that's a healthy part of growing up, I think. You know, getting into some trouble is not the worst thing in the world. I'm not talking about, like, drunk driving and stuff like that. But that, that's not the worst thing in the world because one thing for me is growing up, you know, I grew up in this whole punk rock, heavy metal type environment. So I had long hair, I had dreadlocks, you know, I, I dressed a certain way. And that wasn't, that wasn't hip at all at the time. I went to this preppy 90210 type high school. I mean, white, <laughs> white, white kids didn't even listen to rap. There were like three kids there who listened to Public Enemy and so forth. They're like, hey, oh, you're, you're, listening, to, high school? Yeah, you're listening to black people's music. You're not black. You know, it, was, it was that kind of mentality. So you can imagine what someone like me with like pierced ears and a nose ring and dreadlocks and, you know, walking through the halls with his heavy metal outfits on and all that. But you got a lot of flack for that. But, but one thing I learned is how to deal with that flack at a young age and how to deal with flack from authority and all that stuff where it didn't intimidate me. And I think that's why it was a lot easier for me to, to squash a traditional path of just go be a nine-to-fiver in a corporate job for the rest of your life and go do something totally crazy, which no one thinks is going to work, and pull it off anyway. So I, I think, I think there's, a, there's a balance that has to happen there. I think if you try to control every single move a kid makes, that's not healthy either. And then if you don't do enough, that's obviously not healthy. So it, it's, it's tough, man. I think, I think being a parent is a very, I'm not speaking personally, but just looking at it, talking to you guys and others, I think it's a very difficult job. And I don't think there's any master handbook on how to do it you know, perfectly. You know? There's going to be trial and error with every single experience. I think it's funny. It's like, it seems like Mike and I were in Bizarro Land right around the same time. So while he was doing that, <laughs> now, that's funny now because so here's Mike now with the shaved head, and here I am with the locks. But that same, in that same era when Mike was walking around with dreadlocks, here I was. First of all, I'm being raised in, like, northeast Texas, which is, you know, you can ask any of my friends. They'll tell you I'm the brownest redneck you're probably ever going to meet. Basically, this is redneck land, especially during the 80s. They're still holding on to a lot of, quote, unquote, southern traditions. <laughs> during that time. So, but here I am. I'm the kid that was walking around with a spike, that was listening to heavy metal, that was like listening to <laughs> Judas Priest and <laughs> Slayer and things like this. And you know, most of my friends were like enjoying Rappers and Light, but at the same time, I'm the guy. <laughs> I can, so, no one can understand where the hell is this kid coming from? I'm probably one of the first kids who was like on the football team. But at the same time, I was in marching band and symphonic band. And at the same time, I'm the first guy on the football team to get my ears pierced, which was a no-no in the late 80s and early 90s. They weren't trying to hear that back, especially in East Texas, especially in a state where everything's so traditional and everything's about football, and especially when you're in a, in a part of the country where you're on that last notch of the Bible Belt. And, this is, and you've grown up in a town where they actually told the cable company that if they even get BET or MTV as part of their subscription package, they would shut them down. 
This is what I had to deal with growing up. So that's why I said I was a kid that was calling in all the freaking time. Like, I want that. I want MTV. So, need to get my Headbangers ball on. Oh, man, Headbangers ball. <laughs> that, was, that was like the highlight of every Friday night. Favorite show, man. Speaking of, speaking of that, I saw Last in Line, which is Ronnie James Dio's band. Yeah. With, with with the singer from a band called Lynch Mob, they're just doing a tribute to Ronnie James Dio. They did a show here in town a couple of days ago. It was good, man. I was I was telling Sincere about it the other day because what's interesting is I was probably the youngest guy there. It was, it was most people were probably late forties, early fifties, or beyond. Right. And not one person during the show was texting or doing Facebook updates. And that I thought was extremely interesting. People had their cell phones and they were recording footage. Things like that. You know, I do that too as a souvenir, like one or two songs. But no one was sitting there texting anybody or going, oh, let me update my Facebook status. Most shows I go to where it's a younger generation, that's all people are doing. I shouldn't say all. I would say at least maybe 25, 30% of people are just sitting, from what I, can, from what I noticed, just sitting there doing Facebook updates or going, oh, look, look where I'm at. Oh, they're playing this song now. Blah, 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 blah. We're going to go do this afterward. You know, they're not even there in the moment. Yeah, so I thought that was really say that. And one of the funny oh. things is when they sit there in the show and they're just scrolling through their news feed on Facebook. They're not even <laughs> updating. They're just trying to see what's going on on Facebook. I'm like, you just spent all this money on a concert ticket, and you're spending most of your time trying to figure out what's going on on Facebook with your friends in the news feed. You know, you know what the problem is, though, <laughs> is, is that stuff is, is every time you, your cell phone gives you a little signal that you have another email or a message, <laughs> yeah, it, it creates this dopamine pathway. Yeah, you get this dopamine response in your brain where it's very difficult not to look, especially when you, like for me, for example, like I, I love looking, I love checking my email and seeing more sales come in, right? Like, oh, cool, I just made more money while I'm driving around running errands or like you just get out of a concert. I won't do it during a concert, but like after a concert, I'll take a look as I'm waiting for something and go, oh, cool, I made five, six sales while I was watching that show. Isn't that great? And it becomes this addiction where you're, you're constantly looking for that little dopamine hit to the point where I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to shut off. I, I don't have a Facebook button or a Twitter uh, app on my phone, so I can't look at those two, which, which I don't really do anyway, but I don't, even want the app. I don't even want the option. And I don't want all these notifications either because I, I don't want to be distracted by that. I don't want to be driving around and I get a little bang, and now I'm looking at my phone and I'm going to crash in front of the car in front of me because I'm, wondering, I'm trying to see how many sales I made. Well, guess what, Mike? You made a bunch of sales, but well, now you made enough to cover that loss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now you just got the car wrecked, and that's where it's going to. <laughs> but, but, it's, but it's very it's, it's a very addictive thing, though, so I understand that. And, and that's why I say I'm glad I didn't grow up in this technology generation because these kids are growing up with this where it's just going to get worse as they get older. And I think, I think it's harder and harder to focus on the moment you're in as a result of all of these things to the point yeah. where, I mean, you have to consciously shut it off. I mean, to the point where I don't even want the email function on my phone. Why do I need to look at email when I'm out and about? I don't need to look at email every five minutes. You know, I mean, it's not important for me to do that. But if I have the option to, I'm going to. Right. So, I mean, when you, when you realize that about yourself, then just – just take away the option so you don't have to worry about looking at it. Oh, no, I was going to say it just becomes a Pavlovian response. I mean, you hear that ding or you see that little light on your phone come up, and it yeah. actually dictates your behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, don't think that we hate the Internet or we hate TV or we hate this. No, we're just saying that when it gets to the point where these, these inanimate objects control your animation, that's when it becomes an issue. There are great things with this. I mean, again, 
if it weren't for these methods of technology, James's organization wouldn't be able to do what it does. Right. It would just be this thing that you probably never hear about over in some remote country. But at the same yeah. time now, through this technology, when it's used the right way, we're able to be more aware of what's going on in these countries and as well as our own country when it comes to, like, human trafficking and what, right. and what we can do. And we can use that technology to sponsor one of the girls that's in James' organization that they help to transition and get their lives back together. Yeah. So, therefore, instead of feeling hopeless or just feeling out of the loop, now you can say, right, okay, I can do this now. I can, I can actually help by doing this, that, and the other. I agree. And, and you get to keep up. One thing I like about James' organization, when you sponsor a girl, you also can keep up with their progress. You can go and read their blogs. You can see what they're doing. They're, giving you, they're, they're keeping you up to date what's going on in their lives. So you actually see, like, oh, it's good to see. Okay, I know that what I'm doing here is actually being used for good. Not just like with a lot of charities out there, and you sit there and you make donations or whatever, and you have, you have to wonder, okay, now where – Where's my money? Or where's it going? Who's getting this? Who's this going to go to? How's this going to benefit this person? Sometimes you'll never know. And this comes from a lot of these big, giant organizations. Right. I have to wonder. And I know one in particular that's gotten a few donations from me, and I've heard reports where the money's just sitting in their account. Yeah. Because <laughs> they have to just keep it in queue just in case. Dude, there are disasters happening every freaking day. Just in case of what? Let me guess. What are you waiting the for? Red, the Red Cross. You know it. <laughs> the Red Cross, Red Cross, Red Red Cross is, is a corporation. I mean, they have billions of dollars in assets. Why do they have that much money in assets? It should be out there in the field doing stuff. Exactly. Well, I, mean, I, remember, I remember they were complaining when, when the whole stock market crash occurred. Like, oh, we just lost the money with all our investments. Why do you have anything invested? Why are you investing? In yeah. You know, I'm, not giving you money in? To, I'm not giving you money to go buy stocks. <laughs> you know, it should be out there in the field. There's always, I mean, you're trying to say that there's, there's no one that needs help right now. That's why you're just hoarding this money. That, that money should always be out there in the field. Exactly. Like bare minimum to keep it going, keep the infrastructure going. The rest of it should be out there in the field. But, you know, sincere, you bring up great points about technology. And that's, that's one thing I want to make sure I mention, too, is that while I'm glad I didn't grow up in this Internet world, I'm really glad I'm an adult in it because I wouldn't have the business I have as, uh, otherwise. There's no way. I mean, there's so many things you can do now where you can compete with the big boys because of the Internet. Like, I can create my own testosterone booster and make a great income selling it without going through any other medium than my own website. You know, I don't have to try to go to Vitamin Shop or GNC or any of these people and try to cut deals. I can distribute it through my website direct to the customer and compete with anyone else. I mean, there, there are companies that have way bigger budgets than me. That, and, I, and I can actually beat them. I can actually beat them by creating a superior product and being and applying guerrilla marketing techniques because of the internet. Right. So I mean, there's no better time to be an entrepreneur than right now. That's the big plus side of technology. And, and, and at the end of the day, I think there's way more pluses with all the technological developments than negatives. I just think that it takes a discipline to utilize it properly. And that as a young person, I know I didn't have that discipline. <laughs> I wasn't a disciplined person at 12, 13, 14. I wasn't a disciplined person until I started training around 18. Then I really got into physical fitness, and that had a profound effect on the trajectory of my life. But before that, I think I would have been a mess like a lot of kids growing up in this technological world. Right. It even goes back to what we were talking about right before the show with James. We're all talking about perspective, you know, books. You know, writing our own books now and in the next step. And before this, all this technology and all access to technology yeah. that we have, even for the three of us to even think about trying to write a book and actually <laughs> think it's going to get out there, 
Someone would have said, okay, you're out of your flipping mind. Yeah, what the hell are you, Stephen King? Self-published? They're going to laugh. People would have laughed. Self-published? Like, really? That's like a disaster. That's, that's good luck. Good luck. You think of self-publishing? Good luck your aunt and uncle buying your book. Because that's yeah. the worst <laughs> when, I, when I think of self-publishing back then, I think of a neighbor I had one time growing up as a kid where this guy had like a thousand copies of his book in the, in the, in the, in the garage because it never sold. You know, he self-published it. He sold 10 copies, like you said, since all of his friends and relatives probably bought it. And then the rest of it is just sitting in his garage. Exactly. And, and the book probably would have sold now, you know, oh, because yeah. I mean, with, the, with the Internet, you have the whole world as a potential buyer. And which, here's what's I mean, cool about that. That same guy, that, next, that neighbor, he can sell that book now. All those thousands of copies that he has, he can make a digital version of it and then offer the hard copy, you know, for right. those who purchase a digital copy. And guess what? He'll still be making more money now, even with the ones that he already spent money on, than he would have made back then. Now, that was a big problem with network marketing. I mean, not, I'm not, not going to go on another network marketing time right now. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to make one, like, little point, one little point here, then I'm going to just get off of it. But uh, I just can't help it. I love this topic. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, I mean, back in the day, with if you wanted to join an MLM or network marketing company, let's say Amway, Herbalife, any of the big ones, you had to buy a ton of inventory to get the biggest discount, right, like four or $5,000. So what happened is, I mean, you would have people's garages full of unsold product. Yeah. Okay? And, and that's why they made that law for network marketing companies where at any time if someone wants to send the product back for a refund, you have to give it. Because so many people were like, man, I put $10,000 into this and I didn't, sell, I didn't sell a unit. I didn't sell a bar of Amway soap. What am I going to do with enough soap to last me and every relative I have for 10 lifetimes? I don't know you that many to... dirty people in my life. <laughs> I mean, so, so that was like that, that. This is like pre pre internet. Now I don't know how much the internet has helped those kind of mediums, but that, that was kind of the problem back then. Is that when you you were trying to start a small little business, you know, these are the kind of dumb problems you would come across. You know, nowadays you could you could sell any products you want through someone's affiliate program. You don't have to stock any inventory if you don't want to, if you want to take minimal risk. Or there's there's turnkey operations where. You can probably start off with 100 units of something, you know, something more manageable, and then build right. it up from over there. So there's, there's really no better time to be an entrepreneur than right now. I mean, the, the opportunities are immense. I always feel that you know, if you can't create a successful business in today's world, then just forget it. <laughs> you're not going to be able to create it. You need to reassess. Get, get a job, man. Yeah, go get a job. Go get a job. Get a job, and there's nothing wrong with that because, again, in every – in every force, you're going to have your soldiers and you're going to have your generals. And that's right. the reason why there are far more soldiers than generals. Okay, so not everybody can be a general. So not everyone, you know, is cut out to be an entrepreneur and deal with that. Some people are great. Some people feel great working for someone else. And you know what? That also helps entrepreneurs because if you have a business, you need someone that's willing to come in and want to work for you. You need the Mr. Spocks and the Scotties of the world to, to, <laughs> to, to work with your Captain Kirk. You can't have 10 Captain Kirks. It's just not going to work. Okay. I mean, everyone needs a Sulu to come out of the closet and help you out. <laughs> but James, I'm curious with, I mean, maybe it's, it's, it's too early in the operations, but I'm curious if some of the young ladies you've helped out have gone on to become Internet entrepreneurs or start businesses that have flourished or anything like that. Yeah, there's been, a, there's been a couple of girls that have started their own businesses. Um, the Internet, particularly in Southeast Asia, is – it's, it's just now catching on as okay. an outlet because there's no um, real online purchasing because there's no credit system for a lot of these developing countries. Ah, uh, okay, okay. It makes it a little bit tough, but, um, but the, you know, 
I think you guys are touching on something really, really strong, which is, you know, I think, you know, for all of the, uh, you know, the technology bashing we did earlier, just in terms of its effect on, on young people, it really does open up, you know, a lot of avenues that, that were never open to people before. Um, and so, you know, what we're seeing with some of our girls is that when they're working in businesses, we've got one young lady that's a yoga instructor. Um, she's extremely well known over there, has her own, you know, Facebook page and promotes her business and does really well because she's caught on that this technology is not just meant for, you know, blasting out the last meal you had or what you just bought, but it's an opportunity for you to, positively communicate yourself it's it's a branding tool right uh, that's helping her you know develop a reach to people that you know 10 years ago 15 years ago you couldn't have done yeah no doubt it's extremely powerful so um yeah we do have girls that are entrepreneurs we're really just waiting for the internet to get just a little more momentum in developing countries where it can be used as a as an income generation tool that's cool, though. So it's kind of a ground floor opportunity then because the, the Internet eventually will, and then you have these people right there ready to capitalize on that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, all of our girls are required to learn computers as a part of their core program. So, you know, that, that's a tool that they can take with them anywhere in life. Right. Um, you know, so learning how to utilize a, a, a tool that we all use to communicate on is, is powerful for the futures. Yeah, I think it's amazing that we take something like that for granted. When when you tell this story, there are folks sitting there like, "What, really? That's that's happening there?" Because we're so <laughs> yeah. we've had this, we've had access to this technology so freely. Even I mean, just think about this, James. Your kids and my kids; these kids pretty much came up with the internet. They grew up oh, yeah. together. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, that's what's so yeah, crazy. Like when they that. were born, the internet was born. So yeah. they pretty much they don't know a world without the internet. They don't understand. In fact, they don't even know a world about. They don't even know about dial-up the way we do. They don't know about the pains of dial-up. They don't know the little sound. Which was the sound of death <laughs> for most of us. Like, oh, this is gonna take forever to get online. They were like, get off, get off. He's like, get off the computer. I need to <laughs> yeah, get on the phone. They're like that. So they, can't the <laughs> they can't even imagine that only one of us can dial in at one time on one number that we can't share the connection. Or, if, like, if you were to log on, they would kick me off. They don't understand that. So we take so much of that for granted, and we don't realize, a lot of us here in the West don't realize that there are still parts of the world that have no clue what we're talking about. They don't understand a podcast. They can't understand that you're doing the radio on a computer, <laughs> you know, whereas some of us still try to just even grasp the concept of FM radio, where the quality is a lot better. There's, we take so much of this stuff for granted. And it's, it's, it's great what you guys are doing to really equip these young women, no matter where they go. So let's say the opportunity comes where they actually get to leave Cambodia, and they get to travel. They get to go to school somewhere else. Or let's say they get to go to a U.K. or the U.S. or something like that. They won't feel so out of place. It's already going to be daunting enough to be in a, a different place. It won't be so hard for them to transition, no pun intended, for them to transition and <laughs> work with technology, work with computers, because they've had that experience now that you guys are really equipping them with right now. So I think it's awesome. Yeah, I think, I think that's the other good thing about the Internet world is that, in, in particular, I think it's really empowered a lot of women all over the world oh, to yeah. create very successful businesses because there's still a double standard for women who work at any job, right? Any, right. Anyone will tell you that they get paid less for the same amount of work. There's often a, a bunch of office politics that can, that can be oppressive to women still in the workforce. So a lot of women now are saying, forget it. I'm tired of being in this male-dominated world right. dealing with this sexist crap where I'm just going to start my own business, do things my way. 
And I think it, I think the internet has empowered a lot of women as a result of that too. Where you see a lot of female entrepreneurs that are very successful from leveraging the internet all over the world, and that's really cool too. I think that's the best thing. I, I think <laughs> I think we all want to be empowered where we can tell people to f off. You know. <laughs> and, I think that's a liberating feeling for everyone. You go work at a job you hate. It's like, you know what? Fuck this job. Who you? I'm going to leave. None of this. I have to take this guy's crap. And I think a lot of women probably feel that way too. Like, I'm tired of walking in here and having to deal with all these jerk offs every day and not being taken as seriously as I should or being, having to deal with this patronizing. Yeah. Or having to deal with this patronizing attitudes and so forth where they can say, I'm just going to go build things my own way get the respect I deserve and, and thrive and do really well with it. I mean, we know a lot of women in our industry that are extremely successful yep. doing things exactly the way they want to. And I think that's great. That's one of the, one of the best things about the, the Internet and technology and so forth. So, yes. Yeah. And just driving home the point that we make on the show pretty much every week, just live by your own rules. And that's not just for men. That's for everyone. Live by your own freaking rules. That's what you would do. That's why you were put here, to find out what your rules are and then live by them. Establish them and then live by them. James, what's next for Transitions Global? Um, for, I know you, you guys are working with the West Coast. Well, what's, what's next with you guys, though? Well, so there's a couple of things. One, we're, we're heading back to Cambodia. We're starting to do a little more uh, deep dive in on a couple of projects where we're starting to look at outcomes and results, which – um, you know, maybe we can talk about um, down the line because we're really wanting to share with donors not just how are you making an impact in the girls' lives, but what kind of results are we getting? Right. Um, and taking a real serious look at how we evaluate our program. But um, I think next for us, we're really looking at um, how we're going to respond here in the United States, and uh, we're looking at a couple of, of tentative cities here in the U.S. where we may actually set up a project for American teens. Um, and, and so if that comes down the pike, you guys will be one of the first to know. I was just about to say, man, I know you said that, you know, we have a great task force out in Houston. And if you're ever out here, you know, reach out to me and just let me know what I can do out here in Texas for you guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, Mike and I have been talking about an event sometime in the future. Um, you know, so I'll keep you guys in, in touch on that. Um, but outside of that, we're just, we're just hustling and continuing to do business. We, um, just had uh, six new girls ended up coming to our program this year. And um, so we're just out hustling to get the support that they're going to need for the, for the coming years um, for their care. How many are in the program right now? Right, right now we have 22 girls that are in the, the Dream Home program, which is our core program. Um, mm-hmm. We've got another group of about six girls in our Star House program. And then we have um, almost 57 graduates that we're still in touch with. And so we continue to support them with um, follow-up calls and case management, et cetera. That's fantastic. Well, thanks a lot for coming on again. We we always appreciate talking to you. Yeah, for more information on James and Athena's organization, check out transitionsglobal.com, right, or .org. 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 Transitionsglobal.org. And it's a fantastic organization. If you buy my book, what I'm doing is I'm taking – 50% 50% of the profit, and I'm dividing it between two organizations that I support, and one of them is Transitions Global. So that's an indirect way to support what James is doing, but I would prefer that you do a direct way, which is right. to go on there, sponsor one of the ladies, or just make a general donation. You can rest assured that the money is going to go to a good cause. It's not going to James and his wife Athena's Costa Rica vacation trip. <laughs> no, I, I may pay for that for them. <laughs> but, but don't worry about them using your money to pay for right. that. Tobin said, a lot of times we want to be generous, but we're always going, ah, 
I, I want to help this cause, but I, I don't want to throw my money in the streets if it's not going to go anything useful. Like none of us want to feel like we're being hoodwinked or just scammed. And I think that's why a lot of people are reluctant. James's organization is legit. And James, where can, where can people go actually to see some transparency on you? You recommended a website last time you were on the show where people can just learn more about the infrastructure of your organization and how things are allocated. Yeah, and we're also we're actually updating our website. So uh, November 3rd, our new website's going to launch. There's going to be a lot of really great material on there. Um, we just had our 2012 audit done. If anyone wants to take a look at that, we're more than happy to send that to them. They can just request it uh, on the info email, and we'll send them that. They can also go to guidestar.org, look up our organization. We're one of uh, GuideStar's top 100 nonprofits. Uh, tons of firsthand accounts of people that have actually been involved with and seen our project. They can read through there. Lots and lots of financial information is on there. Um, and if they have any further questions, they can contact us. We'd be happy to answer whatever questions they have. Good deal. Sounds fantastic. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. You guys have been awesome. Thank you. Pleasure. Right. Keep up the great right. work. We'll be in touch Thank with you. you. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Thank you. All right. Take, take care. care. Bye-bye. And that's our friend James Pond. Again, his organization is transitionsglobal.org. He and his wife, Athena, do a fantastic job, so I really encourage you to go over there and take a look at what they're doing. I'm sponsoring one of the ladies. I believe you are, since Yeah, I'm well. sponsoring one of the ladies as well. Yeah. You know, I've made some general donations. They get, you get a nice gift package when you sp- decide to sponsor one of the women, or you can just make a general donation that will just go to the various programs they have. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of video footage on there as well, so you can read about stuff. You can watch a lot of video footage. They have a YouTube channel as well, so you can really educate yourself. Don't feel like you have to donate your life savings either. I think a lot of times people feel that, like, oh, I don't have $1,000 to donate. It's like, well, you don't have to donate that much. I mean, if you donate $10 a month, it all adds up. You know, if, we, if, we, if we had 1,000 people listening who decided to donate $10 a month, you know, $120 a year, that adds up to a lot of money that's going to help a lot of people. So everything right. counts. Do whatever you can do with whatever situation you're in. It all yeah, helps. Don't shortchange yourself. Don't shortchange right. you know, you know, your, your compassion. Yeah. Okay. So it doesn't have to be this big blown out thing. You feel like, oh, I really want to, but I can't give that much. Well, <laughs> anything, anything. When, when we say anything, anything, even if it's a dollar. If you add up everyone that's on both of our subscriber lists and our listeners, right. even if you just gave a dollar each, that is like phenomenal. That is phenomenal. So, like I said, don't shortchange yourself. It's really, like I said, these girls. It, it really goes to a great cause, and they are using it for the right things here. Like I said, it's not like we're financing a Ferrari for James or anything like that. Right. So, yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah, it's always great talking to James, man, and just really getting a progress report of what's going on with the organization. Pretty much how many organizations are actually going to do that? How many organizations are going to put their financial report and everything online for you to see? Some of these big organizations that constantly are asking us to donate to them, do we really get to see what they're doing, with how they're allocating their money, how their yeah. infrastructure is really working, other than some sound bites on the news? Hell no. Now, generally, if, if they're advertising on television, that's a good <laughs> sign that they're not using money wisely. Yeah. That, that's very expensive to do. If they're sending you a lot of stuff in the mail, that's probably a good sign that they're not using their money wisely either. They're, they're not taking advantage of guerrilla marketing type strategies where you can get the word out in a cost-effective way. So, I mean, just keep that kind of stuff in mind as well. Also, let's see, we have a a few, we have, actually, we have a bunch of questions. We're we're not going to try to get through all of them today because we know we both have stuff to do. But if you have time, Sincere, we'll take one or two of them. Hey, let's roll with it. Okay. So, one of the questions is, this is kind of a fun one, so we'll answer this one first. Like, what kind of bands do you guys like to listen to during workouts? 
And uh, me, like before I do a maximum deadlift, I'm a big fan of Robin Thicke's Blurred Lines. <laughs> I find that to be really exciting. <laughs> oh, dude. All I can see right now is you. No, hold on. Let me tell you what just came to my mind right now. And now I need to go. Don't and, tell me I the need, video. Don't tell me the video with right the, now. Don't tell me the like, video with uh, Pharrell and the goat. Okay? Dude, I have, to, I have to wipe this from my mind now. I, all I can see right now is you. Pulling the bar up, and of course, hips extended forward with Miley Cyrus in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little visual of her twerking in front of me to really grind that hip thrust. And right now right I'm going to go throw her up. I'll be right yeah. back. <laughs> That's a good way to fail the lift, not complete it. So you, have, you have to give me incentive to complete the hip thrust, not, you know, not penalize me. <laughs> no, I like, uh, like right now, some of the bands I'm really into are Hollywood Undead, Five Finger Death Punch, Papa Roach, Deuce. Those are some of the bands I'm really into right now that I'm having fun training to. I have, I have some old school favorites too, such as the Chromex, Biohazard, Beastie Boys. You know, every once in a while, if it's a really intense workout, maybe Slayer, Metallica, some thrash metal type stuff. If it's, if it's conditioning or cardio type oriented stuff, I want things that are going to get me excited, but not take it too far, right? I don't want my adrenaline going way too high. For example, I wouldn't want to do a 10-minute set to Slayer because you're, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't want, I don't really want to listen to it for 10 minutes, number one, and that, that's not going to allow me to pace properly right. either. It's going to just, you're, going to, you're going to blast through the first two minutes and be done. Yeah. So, some, so, so something like that may be something along the lines of what I just mentioned, like Hollywood and Dead is a rap rock band. Uh, Papa Roach is just a rock band. You know, Kid Rock is a good rock band when I'm doing stuff like that. So it, it varies, but those are just some of the examples. How about you? So many different avenues that I go with my training. It just really depends on the type of day I'm having. Let me put it like this. If I'm doing deadlifts or something like that, or I'm doing other Olympic lifts, and I'm just something I know I'm not going to do, like 50,000 reps or something, right. I'm pretty much listening to Godsmack, Disturbed. Sometimes I listen to Public Enemy, but sometimes I get a little too angry when I hear that. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, I want to get hyped and, you know, go through my deadlifts, but I don't want to take, I don't want to feel like I want to take that barbell and break it over my kneecap. Right. <laughs> sometimes, right. Or I just want to take it and just toss the bar when I'm done. I don't want to feel that way sometimes. But that's pretty much what I listen to in times of, like, Olympic lifting. But when it comes to, like, GS training, just really, this is where, now here's the paradox here. <laughs> now, to me, I always describe long cycle. To me, long cycle is like hard rock. So when I'm doing long cycle, I actually will listen to Godsmack or I'll listen to Disturbed or I'll listen to, you know, Kid Rock when I really kind of relax and still get hyped up. But when I'm doing snatch training, to me, I always describe snatch as being like, like painting on a canvas or also it's almost to me like it's, it's like a symphony. So sometimes I'll listen to, like, more meditative music, believe it or not, when I'm doing snatch, especially the long 10-minute snatch sets, because it just helps me relax. So I'll listen to Devil Pramal. I'll listen to, I'll, I'll listen to other, like, meditation-type music. And, and I'll listen to Gregorian monks sometimes. I've had people walk into the gym, some of my folks, and just kind of like, oh, he's, he's in his zone right now, where someone else is like, that's just freaking weird, dude. <laughs> but, you know, again, this is the guy that had a spike in high school, so you're, <laughs> you're not, don't be surprised. But, yeah, so I, I really like to relax during that. Hell, sometimes you'll even hear country music, Luke Bryan yeah. or someone like that yeah, when right. I'm doing snatch training. And because country music is just like I really don't get that hype off of it unless it's just some kick-ass good old boy type music or whatever. Now, is this, really is, this, gym. is this kettlebell snatch training sincere or another form of snatch training? Now, that other, now that's, <laughs> the other form of snatch training, that's when I break out, um, you know, a little Isley Brothers and um, – <laughs> 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 that's, when, you know, that's, when, 
That's what it was a little Michael Bublé, like, hey, how you doing? You know, <laughs> with a glass of brandy on the side right there. <laughs> you got my orso cuavati, eh? You got your magician pose ready to work some magic. No, yeah, you know. <laughs> no. Uh, you know, what the funny thing about music, though, is that people often feel that, okay, I'm going to listen to super intense music to get psyched up for a workout. Often yeah. that's counterproductive. Yes, it very like, I, I've done that myself where I go, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a max deadlift at the gym. So like on the car ride over, which is about, you know, five, eight minutes, I have a Slayer blasting or a Chromex or something really intense. And I'm like, oh, yeah, man, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to crush it. And what's happened is you've gotten your heart rate up and you're, you're burning all this adrenaline and you yeah. haven't even gotten to the exercise yet. Yeah. And what you'll often find sometimes is that you're actually tired now. When you're about to get to that, by the time you go through your warm-ups and all that, and you're about to get yeah. to your max set, you're like, man, I'm kind of tired right now. I, I, my brain feels a little bit off. So you, you have to time it at the right time. Yeah. So in other words, mentally, I'll listen to music. A, that, yeah, I'll listen to music. mentally emotional workout before you got there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I mean, that music, so the really intense stuff, save that for your last set or the last, and this is like a one rep max or a three rep max or just a one yeah. set max. And that, that's when you want to ramp it up. That's when I put the intense music in. So I go, okay, I'm about to go do my maximum set, maximum weight set for the day. That's when I ramp, put the headphones on, get myself psyched up, do my stomp, stomp all the cockroaches <laughs> in front of the bar, <laughs> and then pull that weight off the ground. That, that's, when it, that's when you use it to your advantage. You get, get that adrenaline rush right before you need to use it because you know, it doesn't last a long time. Adrenaline energy is not something that's going to last for like an hour or so. It, it, it lasts minutes, and then it's over. And then you're actually going to be more tired. And that's the other thing you have to keep in mind, too, is the more you ramp up your adrenaline, the more fatigued you will be. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be much more fatigued after that workout. You may even feel it the next day. And this kind of ties in what I think about a lot of energy drinks. That was one of the questions we got also. What do you guys think about pre-workout drinks? And the problem with most pre-workout drinks is they're loaded with a lot of stimulants, sugar. caffeine, synephrine, yeah, and a lot of sugar, so, which is also a stimulant. So now you're getting all of these different stimulants, and yes, it may improve your performance that day, no question, but what's the price you're paying? Because you're going to be way more fatigued afterwards, and you're going to be way more fatigued the next day. It's like you're going into debt, right? You're going into yeah. debt to buy something, and now you have to pay it back. You're in a deficit. It's the same thing. You're going into an energy depth. So you may feel tired and going, man, I'm going to take this energy drink so I can go work out today. But when a better option that day may have been to maybe skip that day or do some kind of active recovery workout or just go a little lighter than you normally do and work on technique and do something else. But you decide, no, I'm going to push through anyway. So you take a big caffeinated, stimulant-loaded pre-workout drink, and sure enough, it allows you to go in there and crush it. But now you're in a double energy deficit because you were already in an energy deficit before you took the drink. And now you took that and your adrenaline went way up and so forth. And now you're in a double deficit afterwards. So maybe if you have a competition coming up or something like that, you're like, who cares? I'm willing to pay that price. Fine. But you don't want to make this a habit. If you're working out four or five times a week and you decide to take these stimulants before every single workout, over time, you it's going to start causing some problems. Yeah. yeah. Adrenal fatigue and, and just, just this feeling of being tired all the time is, is inevitable. That's what's going to happen. One of the pre-workout drinks I really like, and it's not something I do every day, but what I really like is something that a lot of people don't even think about. I'd rather have green tea about right. an hour or hour and a half before a workout. Sometimes right. what I'll do, I'll have one bottle with um, ice green tea in it, and I'll have my water in the other one. Or other times I'll have – 
coconut water in one bottle and I'll have my regular water in another bottle. And I'll alternate with that. So therefore, you know, I have this balance going on. I'm not sitting there just like overstimulating myself before the workout. And, and going back to just different things you listen to on your way to the gym, going back to that, here's one thing I like to do, Mike. On my way before a workout, when I'm on my way to the gym, actually what I actually listen to, I actually listen to podcasts on my way over there. And, here's, and a lot of them are like over marketing, over business, uh, or shows kind of relate to ours. Here's the beauty in that, because while I'm listening to this and I'm in the car and making that drive, my brain is being stimulated. It's not being overstimulated, but it's, it's working. It's working. And right. it's kind of waking me up. Right. You know, because by the time it's the afternoon, you've pretty much been at home working all day and working on your business at home. So it's really easy to kind of feel a little like, oh, I'm a little, a little tired, a little tired now because I've done a lot today. But during that drive over there, it kind of, say, it kind of wakes me up because I'm listening. I'm paying attention to these shows. I'm getting all these great ideas, not just for my business, but even great ideas as far as our show is related. And right. by the time I get to the gym, dude, I'm so like, I'm, 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 my energy levels, my vibrations is up, and I'm ready to kill it. Right. But at the same time, I'm not overstimulated. Yeah. So the brain is percolating and working, and it's not being just doused with like a big bucket of caffeine and any kind of other stimulants, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I'm firing up all these, these these neurons in my brain now, and now I have an outlet for them. So boom, got a good workout, get to it, you know, get done what needs to be done. I'm out of there. And then, guess what, I'm still, I still have a little bit left over, so when I get back home, I'm taking notes on those things I was thinking about that I got ideas right. from with that show. And then, guess what, then I can sit back, relax, kick it back, chill with my wife, and call it a day, and then, guess what, the next day I can work on those ideas that I was thinking of. Right, right. No, that's a great way to go. That's a great way to go. And pod, podcasts are just cool in general because it, allow, it allows you to get inundated with positive energy. You know, you're not oh, always yeah. going to have people in your life that are maybe real go-getters or just disciplined people that are trying to do positive things. So now you can, a podcast is kind of like you're able to sit in on the conversation. It's almost like you're there yep. just listening to a cool conversation. And it's, you know it's great for when you're driving around. You know what? I think um, what we should do for the next show, we should just like give our top five favorite podcasts other than yeah, ours. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely do that. Definitely. <laughs> other than ours, yeah. So I think because I'm, I'm pretty sure there are folks listening to like, well, man, what other podcast should I be listening to? So, and I, and I listen to a lot. So there's so many different guys and, and ladies that I listen to in different arenas. So it's not just right. all fitness or health or business or anything like that. It's just so many different things. And it's kind of one of those things, like when I first started my business, a mentor of mine told me, like, you should be reading books in other, in other industries in order right. to help your business. Yeah, so one thing, I, after probably the first year or two, I really stopped buying so many fitness-related books because – a, you, you tend to start getting the same information over and over. There's only so much these people can write about. I started looking at other industries that pretty much had nothing to do with what I was doing, and that's when I really started getting ideas. And also I went back to the industries that I walked away from, which I, I looked back into the music industry. So there were books that were related to that that I didn't want to read while I was in that industry that I went back to that were very helpful to me later on in this industry. So there's a lot of things music-wise, marketing promotions and guerrilla marketing-wise, that I pulled from that industry over into the industry I'm in now. And now I'm even taking the best of that along with the fitness industry and all putting all those things together as I move more toward personal development. Read books, magazines, and, and listen to podcasts that are totally unrelated to what you do right now. Another good thing about that, you won't end up becoming your competition. When you start listening to everything in the industry that you're in, 
you start listening to the ideas that they're doing, you start listening to the way they're marketing, the way they're promoting the, the products they create. Next thing you know, that stuff starts to bleed into your blueprint, and you're, you end up copying what they're doing, and you just right. you, don't, you don't stand out. So you're doing yeah. the same type of workouts they're doing. You're creating the same type of classes they are. You're creating the same digital products they are. So therefore, you're not standing out, and you're wondering, like, why am I not getting any sales? Well, guess what? What you're doing for that price, I can go get from this dude from this price. And I actually know this dude. I actually right. know and trust this guy. I don't really know you, so why should I buy from you the same product I can get from someone else who I've been following and studying all this time? Right. So that's the thing about it. So what, like I said, go into another industry and see what they're doing and see how you, you can finagle that into what you're doing as well. Yeah, you'll often learn a lot more from other people oh, yeah. in our uh, industries because, like you said, what happens is, in any industry, people just start copying each other quite a bit. So it's, yeah. the same, it's the same style just being recycled over and over again, either taken more over the top or watered down. And then yeah. sometimes you just need a fresh perspective. You look yeah. at – I mean, that's, that's how I that's, – that was what I did when I started doing a lot of workshops, actually. That was kind of the business model of I'm going to start promoting courses all over the country and then eventually all over the world so I'm not bound by geographical boundaries and mm -hmm. then basically go on tour. Like the right. way a rock band would. Exactly. Like you, make, exactly. you make a video, and then to support your training video, you start doing workshops and go out there and see people and meet people in person and, and teach on that front. So, I mean, that's, yeah. and that, that, those kind of ideas came to me as a result of growing up, going to a lot of concerts as a young person and seeing that. Yeah. So, so I wouldn't have really thought of that. If a, no, one, no one that I knew was really doing that back then, not just kettlebell right. workshops, but workshop, workshops in general were really not a big deal, honestly, back in, let's say, 2001, too. I mean, there were a few people doing them, like Charles Poliquin and a few other guys. Charles Daly was doing some, but not, not, on a, not, not the way it is now. It's like now everybody and their mother is doing workshops. Yeah. And it's yeah. totally oversaturated. Like in any, any given weekend, there's probably five or six workshops that are happening. Exactly. In the same place. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's because, it, because again, it's a monkey see, monkey do type industry where once a few people see, once a few people have success with something, then all the sheep come out of the woods and start. Oh, it's just like out. certifications. Yeah. Now. Everybody yeah, yeah. certifies their workshop. Basically, they're taking a workshop and calling it a certification. Yeah, okay. exactly. And what is it, that certification <laughs> really going to certify you as? It, what job opportunity is it going to create? If you walk up, I mean, if you're someone that is looking to work for someone and work in a gym, a commercial big box gym, let's say uh, Bally's a 24-hour fitness or something like that, are they really going to just want to hire you because you've got Coach Bubblefucks, you know, weekend <laughs> certification, Nobody knows part of those kettlebells and, and not make them stink? Really? Right. <laughs> so, because pretty much because that's the only thing he's going to do that's different from any other organization. No, they're going to still probably go to the same big organizations for certification. They're going to want to go NASM or something like that. You know, they're going to look to see if you've got a CSCS. So if you're going to those big box gyms, they're still looking at the old school way of, of certifying folks. And they're still going to those organizations to, <clears throat> to verify if you're even worth hiring. So a lot of these other things, it's just continuing education. And my thing is, why not just call it that? Instead of trying to come up with another certification, really have your system put together where you can present it to these other organizations as continuing education. No one – can I say this? Honestly, the majority of coaches out there, the last thing they need is another certification. What they need is continuing education. They need to see other ways of training. They need to see things outside of their, their chosen area in fitness and see that there are other things that can work and help clients. So, therefore, they're better equipped to deal with various situations with different clients. Not every client is going to come to you wanting to be an athlete. Not every client is trying to get 
go to the comp, you know, the combine. Not every client is trying to be a first round draft pick. Okay, not every client is trying to lose 100 pounds in six months. So you you got to really start to find areas that are a little bit more related to the area that you're choosing to work with, but at the same time, just slightly outside that area. No, it's really true, man. I mean, that, that's why I did that. I, I went and trained with Mark Phillippe for four months back in 2010 because I wanted to get outside my own head, and I wanted yeah. to see how someone at such a high level that he's at, not only does how he would put me through a program, but I got to see how he trains a wide variety of people from right. young female athletes to NFL players to MMA guys to very egotistical athletes to not very egotistical athletes to overweight kids with no confidence to kids right. with very high confidence. And he's a master at teaching all or coaching all of these different demographics. So that was really right. interesting as well. And did I get a piece of paper at the end of that four months saying that I went through training with Mark? No. But I have the knowledge. I have the experience. And that's what I paid for. You know, that's right. what I wanted. I wanted that. I don't care about a piece of paper on the wall. And no one else probably will either. But I have the knowledge now, and that's what is useful. So when I teach my courses, so much of what I learned from him is always being dropped in on right. different things. Just the way I say something or in that particular exercise or different moves that I hadn't thought of before, before working out with him. A lot right. of the stretching stuff I teach in my courses is things I picked up from him. So, I mean, I, I, think, I think you're right. You want to keep getting that continuing education. Certifications are basically a racket right now. And it basically oh, yeah. what, what's happening is people realize if I just do a course, I'm only going to be able to charge one-third or one-fourth of what I could charge if it were a certification. Right. And all of a sudden, you see charges. All of a sudden, it became standard for a certification to be a minimum of $1,000 for two days. Right. And all of a sudden, right. companies like Dragonor and a few others kind of set that mark of, hey, we can charge this much for certs and I bet people will pay it because no one was paying that before that. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> and then yeah. all of a sudden, everyone else is like, well, and now they charge maybe 2000 or more. So now right. someone else is coming in thinking, well, hell, if I just charge half of what they charge, I'll get some people for that. You know? <laughs> and now they're like, if I charge $1,000 a person and only five people show up, hey, it's still a good weekend for me. <laughs> and people start thinking like that. Uh, what if 10 people show up or 20 people show up or 30 people show up? You know, like the dollar signs are going off in their eyes yeah. now. And even if five people do show up, that's not a great weekend because guess what? If you went in there with the intention just to make a quick buck with those five people, it's going to show in your presentation. And right. guess what? The next one you do, it won't be five people because the word's going to get out that you absolutely positively sucked ass. That, okay. that, and so what infrastructure do you have in place? to support people after they've gone through. And that's the thing. That's the thing. Most of these companies have none. None. And that's why you can need to, the majority of folks saying they have a certification need to shut the hell up because here's the thing. If you have a certification, you got to have some follow-up. You got to be able to support the people that bought into your company. So now I'll, I'll even say this, and I know you're probably like, Oh, hell no. But I'll even say network marketing has a better follow-up and support system in place than these certifications. Not so you know it's pretty right. bad when I would rather – I would give praise to a marketing company over <laughs> yeah. your certification. Well, at least you have a sponsor there who – Exactly. Somebody's going to walk it, with you, be with you, to yeah, make and sure – and it's in his or her best interest for you to be successful. So at exactly. least you have that. The more money you make, the more money they make. So, I mean, you have that going for it at least. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but here's my challenge. Here's my challenge to all the fitness coaches out there right now. My thing is, I want you to take a look at each and every client you have right now, and I want you to write down the names 
of all those clients that actually walked in or called you, the first day they ever called you, the first day they ever walked in for a consultation, whatever, and asked you, who are you certified with? Right. I double dog dare you. And then you ask yourself, the next time you get ready to go sign up for a certification because you think you need it, go back and look at that list of all your clients who asked you for who you're certified with. I think in my entire career, maybe two people. And they, and they didn't even end up being clients anyway. They were just looking, looking you know. They were just mm-hmm. looking to waste time. I, I, have, I, have this guy, dude, I have this guy who's been emailing me questions about my recovery oil and testosterone booster for like five months without buying anything. And it's, and it's always a question that's answered on the page that's on my website. Now, look, I don't mind answering people's questions about anything I carry. You know, I'm, I'm happy to answer questions. Most right. of the time it's answered on the pages I have up on my website, and I do that to save you time and me time because I don't want you to have to email me and wait when the answer is already there, and then I don't want to have to say the same thing in an email to 100 people when that information is already on my site. It makes it simple right. for everybody. But there's always going to be people that just want to waste your time, and this is what they do. They'll just keep asking you questions because every time you respond, it's some kind of victory for them. Yeah, I think I saw the meme on, on like Instagram or something like that. People who are constantly asking you for your advice but never take it or constantly asking you about something but never do anything yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You call advice that person addict. an asshole. Advice addict. <laughs> no, an asshole. That's oh, what. an asshole. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. They're always exactly. asking everything, but they don't do anything about it. It's, it's just a delaying tactic. It's a way for them to keep delaying making a move. It's like, well, yeah. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to keep asking him questions so that I don't have to buy the product. It's kind you of that thing. You can add bullets to that clip all you want, but eventually you're going to stick that clip in and pull the freaking trigger, dude. <laughs> no, I, I won't answer after a certain point. So, you know, I'll give people a cutoff point. It's like, look, you know, I, I think I spent enough time answering this stuff, and enough. that's it. That's it. I'm, I'm just going to delete from now on. <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> I'm just not going to deal with that. Yeah, but no, you're right, man. I mean, most people that uh, they go through a lot of trouble to get a lot of certifications, and then how many customers even know the difference between any of the certifications or even the relevance of any of them? Very few. Yeah. And some will argue the other point where going, well, isn't going to certifications a form of continuing education? And, yeah, it is. And, and, there, and there are some good certifications out there. I'm not saying they're, they're all bad. But I'm just saying that a lot of times you can get that same information through a medium that is not a certification, and it will be just as good, if not better. Not as expensive. <laughs> like me, me getting private instruction by Mark Philippe for four months, there is no certification on the face of the planet that's going to match that experience. Right. That's what I'm talking about. If I went and took a two-day course with Mark, you really think that's going to equate to working out with him four times a week for four months? Of course not. Mm-hmm. And that's an example of what I'm talking about. If you want really good continuing education, take it to, a, take it to another level than just a two-day weekend where you can add one more thing to your resume and up your rates. Exactly. And look, at it, look at it as I want the information for myself first because I want to be able to improve my own workouts, my own training. I, I just want that knowledge. And then this is a great way for me to share more information with my customers, make myself more valuable to the marketplace, give myself a competitive edge, all the other good things that come with it. Hey, let me just put it this way. You owe it to your clients to do that. Yeah. You owe them that much. They bought into you. Give them something back, man. Give them something back. Show them that they're just as important to you as you are to them. You owe them that much to go out there and get your hands dirty and really immerse yourself in these opportunities to go and learn from the best. And, yeah, in some situations, certain people that you may look up to, the only opportunity you probably have to work with them may be in a two-day weekend. But, again, what we're saying here is just don't be a paper chaser. 
don't be the don't be the person that's just constantly trying to just fill their wall up with all these certifications because no one's to the person that it really matters to the most they could give a rat's ass all they really want from you is hey can you help me yes and exactly. what do we need to do to make it happen absolutely and no certification on the wall is going to explain that to them because they they're not buying into that certification. they're buying into you man so they just want you to help them get to where they want to be. And also, you as a coach, you want to help them to get to where they want to be and then beyond that. As um, Daniel Cole said, going beyond their reach. Right. When he was talking about in our, in our show a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So, again, like I said, don't become that person. We all know that person in college. We all have that friend that's still in school after all these years. They now have three <laughs> or four bachelor's degrees. Right. They've got a couple of master's degrees. They've got a couple of PhDs. These are what I call the glorified paper chasers. That's all they are. They're about chasing the paper and putting all those degrees on the wall. But when are they going to actually put those pieces of paper to use? Yeah, I think also what happens is when you when you inundate yourself with so much information, now now you want you want to you want to make sure everyone knows how much you know. That's the, the other trap people fall into. Yeah. So someone will ask you a question and you give them a hundred things more than they need to know, <laughs> and all you've done is confuse them further. When all you had to do was keep it to a couple sentences and just answer the question directly. Right, instead of giving them a thesis response, and the first the first four paragraphs are on how much you know, and then finally you get to what they wanted to know. And, and people do this when people they do this about twenty minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, people do this when they email guys like us or, or any expert for advice. Is they give your whole life story, and busy people are not going to read five pages to get to whatever your question is. So like when you when you email someone that is busy, whether it's an author or a fitness expert, whoever it is, you know, get to the point as fast as you can. Right. A couple sentences or less. shouldn't take more than three or four sentences, honestly. You don't have to give your whole back history. Now, if they respond to that and you start developing a dialogue, then you can start getting more and more into it. But, I mean, the first thing they ask the first you, thing you, you want know. is actually a response. Yeah, or if they ask you, like, hey, can you tell me just a little bit more? I need to just get right. a little bit more in order to give right. you the answer that you're looking for. Then, yeah. So my thing is, it's funny. One of my friends used to say this all the time. Whenever somebody's always explaining things, they say, hey, man, to my, you're, giving me, you're giving me lies I didn't ask for. Because <laughs> a lot of times when someone's over-explaining something, usually there's some lies thrown in there, some exaggeration. <laughs> like in uh, Robert Greene's, our guest from uh, several episodes ago, author of 48 Laws of Power and Mastery and 50th Law. I mean, in the 48 Laws of Power, he talks about how you know, the more you say, the worse it gets for you. Yeah. Because the, the, more, the more you're going to say something you shouldn't have said, the more right. you're going to trip yourself up, the more you're going to confuse the, to the issue. You just want to be succinct and, and get to the point. And then right. the, uh, that leads into a, one of our other questions, and we'll make this the last one. We'll save the rest for another episode. One person was asking, you know, you guys have both done a lot of presentations. What advice do you have for people that want to improve their public speaking skills? Like they want to start doing workshops and so forth, but they don't necessarily have the confidence yet. Like, and the second part of the question is, do you recommend – Things such as Toastmasters. I was just about and, to say Toastmasters. And, uh, and uh, I don't, I don't know how you feel about Toastmasters, but I'll say it first of that. Uh, so, oh yeah, you go ahead. Yeah, you go first. I, I am not a fan of Toastmasters <laughs> one bit, as you may guess. I mean, I'm just not a fan at all. Here's why. See, Toastmasters is basically an organization where you, you're going to basically classes on how to improve your public speaking. So you get up in front of the room, and they may give you a topic such as talk about your favorite restaurant. Right. And that right, that, that right there tells you why this is going to be a lame experience. I don't oh, want to get up. witness, Your Honor. Yeah. Witness. I, don't, I don't want to get up in front of a room and talk about my favorite restaurant. All right. That's not exciting to me. It's not going to be a good speech. People are going to listen to that and go, this, is, this guy sucks. But to come to one of my workshops, they're going to go, wow, this guy's a good speaker. So that gives, that gives you an answer right there as well. 
when you're excited about it, that's going to help your public speaking ability. That's not all there is to it, but uh, back to the Toastmasters is that it, it's, it's basically role-playing, right? There isn't yeah. anything at stake. You're getting in front of a room of people that are also scared of public speaking, and then they're going to give you advice on how to be better. And there's a teacher there as well, but you're getting feedback from a bunch of people in the audience who are not high-level speakers. Right. So it's, not, it's not really that useful, in my opinion. They're just and there's no, tell risk. You. there's no risk involved. Exactly. There's no risk it's a, involved. It's a safe environment. It's like going to Alcoholics it's, Anonymous. You, you know have what? to get over the fear of bombing because you will. You know, I, I bombed the first couple of times. I wrote about it in my book. I had to give a sales presentation one time, actually in a network marketing company that I was, that I was naive to be involved with. But anyway, I did learn some public speaking skills from that, so that was the positive. But I remember the first time I had to get up in front of a group and pitch 30, 40 people – I mean, I went completely blank. I, I, if someone asked me what my name was at that moment, I wouldn't know. And I panicked because it's never happened before where I started sweating, and I, that just made it even worse. Yeah. And then my sponsor had to come up and save me, which was so humiliating that I couldn't wait to get back in front of the room again, though, because I was like, I need to erase this, <laughs> this total this nosedive right. uh, immediately. You know, I need to get right back in front of the room and crush it. And that worked really well for me. Now, someone else may have that experience and never want to do a public speaking presentation again. So I get right, that. But that pain associated with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. About with Daniel. You get better at it by taking the risk and putting yourself out there. So, I mean, so one thing you could do, actually, and this is one thing I did early in my career as well, is I just volunteered to teach some kettlebell classes for volunteer firefighters back in northern Virginia. Yeah. And – this was great because they appreciated me coming out because they don't have a budget. They weren't paying me or anything like that. I didn't expect to get paid. They were just happy to have someone come out. But there, there was still something at stake there in the sense that you know, if you're not a good speaker, you're going to lose everyone's attention. If you're not an exciting instructor, you're going to lose people's attention. And so, so you're still developing the skill set. It was like my own internship. And after about five or six weeks of that, I started getting very comfortable with it. And I realized, you know what, I can do this and start charging people now. I've got the confidence to get out there. So basically, the only way to get better at being a public speaker is to practice it a lot, which means getting in front of people and talking. So just find any opportunity you can to do that. Also, one, one thing I like to do is watch other people who are very good presenters. I watch lectures all the time, people that are very good speakers. Like I'm not a huge fan of Tony Robbins' material, but as a speaker, he's one of the best out there. So right. I like watching. I like watching the way he presents and his enthusiasm, his energy, and so forth. Things like that. I also made a conscious effort whenever I watch an interview or a lecture to emulate people that avoid, you know, um, uh, the, you know, those kind of things. So I, right. I try to. I, I make a conscious effort when, I, when I'm instructing to never say, you know, uh, or um, or any of that stuff. Not always 100% of the case, but I am making a, a conscious effort to do that. Right. And also, you want to avoid, you want to avoid tag-alongs such as "okay," "all right," "all right." I mean, and a funny example of that is our mutual friend Andrew Derniak. So you said "all right," you know, okay. Yeah, my yeah. Mind. <laughs> Anyone who's seen the Age of Quarrel video set, Andrew's a great guy. He's an <laughs> he's an awesome. <laughs> Okay, I know everyone is like, why are they laughing so much right now? But here's the deal. Minute, you guys, trying, you guys, I'm not trying to get you to go buy Mike's DVD, just trying to pitch it. But if you don't have the Age of Quarrel DVD, buy it just for this, just for this one situation right here. And we love, we love Andrew to death, but man. 
Yeah, Andrew's a great guy, awesome coach, incredible athlete. But you know, he, he had this was earlier in his career where he hadn't done a lot of presentations. Right. So that so he was he was tending to make novice mistakes such as using okay, all right, you know, using right. those kind of words a lot, being very repetitive. You know, Steve Cotter was like that too early in his career. Honestly, hey, I knew I'm Steve. Like, if you look at my DVD, the first yeah. workshop you and I did together, yeah. I if I had a dollar for every time I said okay, all right, okay, yeah, I wouldn't have to sell any more DVDs. <laughs> But, and, I have, and I have an answer for that, too. I have an answer for that to follow up with this, uh, this question as well. But go ahead. No, just, just using the example of Steve Carter, because I've known him for a long time. You know, he used to be very verbose as well and repetitive when he first started instructing. Because I've, known, I've seen him teach since like 2004 or so. And then now, though, he is extremely polished. Because, I mean, he's done like a 1,000 courses. I don't even, I'm not even exaggerating when I say a thousand. He's probably done. That's probably Almost every other day he's teaching. Yeah, somewhere he's in probably the world. done at least a thousand courses, if not more. I mean, every weekend all around the world he's doing a course. So now he is extremely precise with his instruction, which is just going to happen from so much experience. He probably got tired of hearing his own voice. So when right. he teaches an exercise now, he knows the exact words in the exact sequence to say to get his point across. And that only comes from experience and working on improving your craft. It's not going to come just from teaching two or three courses. It comes, that level of mastery comes from really putting yourself out there for a long period of time. Well, he's put in the 10,000 hours. Trust absolutely, me. absolutely. Yeah, but in my opinion, when it comes to public speaking, one of the things you should do is think about what is the one thing you could talk all day long about. And that thing right there is probably the industry and the thing that you should be teaching. And find some way to teach that and base your business around that. Mike and I could talk about being entrepreneurs all day long. Yes, we could talk about fitness all day long. And if you want to talk about being an entrepreneur in the fitness industry, we could talk about that all week long, nonstop. (laughs) More more than you'll ever want to know about it. (laughs) So, and that's the thing about it, because the passion is there. And you need to talk about something. You need to be able to speak to an industry where it gets to a point where somebody's like, okay, dude, shut the hell up. Okay, I get it. I get it. That right there, if it's to, a case, right. if it's to the point where someone's like, all right, wow, wow, you're really passionate about that. I just asked you one question. You just went on for 30 minutes with just flowing, and I, just, I see your passion. That right there is a good sign that that's where you should be. That's where you should be right. directing your attention to right there. And another thing that can really help you with your speaking is also to film and, or record yourself. Absolutely. And, and be very open to what you see and what you hear. Yeah. Also, I mean, I even, even when I put out the first DVD, when I put out my Bodyweight DVD, I even went on probably some of the harshest forums out there because I know these guys are going to give it to you straight. <laughs> so, and one of those is Iron Garm. And yeah. the thing is, I went in there with open mind. I already knew. There are going to be some that just bash because they're going to bash. But there are some that actually give constructive criticism. And there were very constructive criticisms in those forums from people who bought the DVD, yes. that I respected their constructive criticism, and I took that to heart, and I really started to work on those things. There are things I still work on to this day. Even when we read some of our reviews on iTunes, I don't take it personal. I just like, okay, let me take a look at that. And I go back and I listen. I'm yeah. like, I see where they're coming from with that, and I'm, you know, I'll work on that because guess what? At the end of the day, I know I'm not perfect. I don't have the ego to think like, how dare you say that about me? Well, if you, dude. I have to ask myself, are they coming from, a internet, from an Internet troll point of view, or is this something that they noticed that I may have overlooked? 
And right. I went back and I listened to some of the earlier episodes on quite a few things that we did. But here's the beautiful thing about those early episodes. They were early episodes. And yeah. each week, Mike and I learned so much more about putting this show together. And there are things that we did two weeks ago that we are working on to make sure that next week's show is even better than that. Because we know we're continuing to grow, and we're not walking around here like we're CNN, which that's 24 hours of mistakes right there. <laughs> so I can't even use them as an example. So, yeah, I say film yourself and, and get over the fear of hearing your own voice or get over the fear of realizing that you're going to make a mistake. Make peace with the fact that you're human, and it's going to happen. But here's the beautiful thing about mistakes. I actually like making mistakes when I'm doing a presentation or when I'm doing a workshop because now it makes me have to really fire up my brain like, you said that wrong, or that wasn't what I meant to say. How are you going to come back from that? Or when you see the looks on people's face, like, I didn't get that. How are you going <laughs> to bounce yeah. back from that, that remark that you just made or the mistake that you just made and even a way of describing a certain exercise? Maybe <laughs> I described it the wrong way and I just lost some people. And or, being or, able or to joke, learn how to read joke, the room. A joke gone bad, that's always the worst. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Trying to be no. funny. You, you're thinking you're going to kill it. Oh, I can't wait to see that. And then you say it, and it's crickets. And and like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's happened to all of us. And you're like, okay, so. <laughs> Some people t- try to take the whole comedian thing a little bit too far. You know, I, I like I like to joke around at courses just because I have a when people who don't know me first see me, I have a very serious looking demeanor, right? So people sometimes are intimidated by that. Right. Like when I was in Scotland and I walked in the room, people were like, "Uh oh, you know, like the room got very quiet, like the drill sergeant just walked in." And I was like, "Uh uh uh uh, and we're not going to have six hours of that." So the first thing I did is start making fun of myself. Like within the first five minutes, I just made a bunch of jokes where people laughed three or four times in a row. And then right. people realized, okay, he's that, that's, that's the kind of guy he is. And then guess what? Everyone loosened up. They're having a good time. They're approaching you. I don't want to teach through intimidation. That's no. not what I'm all about. I don't like people who do that. And I don't get any power search from being that kind of person. I'm not looking to intimidate people that are paying to come take one of my courses. when they could have been doing a lot of other things that weekend. A lot right. of times they're traveling and so forth. So I don't take that lightly at all. And the last thing I want anyone feeling is uncomfortable in a course. I want everyone to have a great time. And the first thing you, the, the first, the, the way you make sure that occurs is that one, you don't take yourself too seriously. You know, you make fun of yourself, joke around with the students, and you, everyone's going to have a good time. But sometimes people try to take the whole comedy thing too far, where they're, they're making a joke every other sentence or every time a student and asks a question. Yeah, every time a student asks a question, they're responding with some facetious response. Ho, 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 ho. Okay, now let me tell you what I think. It's like, look, dude, you're overdoing it, man. All right? You're not, you're not John Heffron or Ali Sadiq. No, those guys are professional comedians. That's what they that do for a living. Stuff. Yeah, and they do it way better than you do. All right? So, <laughs> so don't – I mean, you can, you, can, you can throw in stuff that's, that's funny, and it's just – most of the time it's not stuff you planned. You know, it just came up on the moment, and you're just having a good time with it. You're just rolling with it, just like we do on the show. But don't, don't try to be a professional comedian necessarily. That's taking it too far. Right. So, yeah, and another thing you can do, and Mike was saying he likes to watch a lot of lectures, take a look at TED Talks. I love TED Talks. Yeah, it's great. And I like to look at the variations. I like to see all the different type of presenters that they have. Some are great. Some not so great. And but, you know, I want to see both. I yeah. want to see why is this person, why are they losing the room right now? Because you can see it. You can see it in that audience on TED Talks. You can right. see when someone has those audiences engaged. Those audiences can be a little pretentious. So the thing is, if you're engaging, <laughs> yeah. if you're engaging that audience, you're a great speaker. Right. You're a great speaker. 
And a couple guys, I don't necessarily buy into all the things they say, just like how you felt about Tony Robbins. Two right. other very dynamic speakers, but on two different, they have two different degrees as far as the way they speak. There's Joel Osteen and then there's T.D. Jakes. Because what I'm looking at is the way they engage their audience. I'm looking at them. T.D. Jakes is a very fiery guy. But at the same time, he's not so much over the top when he's speaking in a non-church audience. If he's there at an event that Oprah's putting on or something like that, he's able to kind of change it up a little bit and not come from a more religious aspect. He acknowledges the fact that not everybody in the audience is going to be religious. But it's not going to hinder him from delivering his point of view when it comes to bettering yourself. And right. it's the way he puts it. And then there's Joel. Joel's kind of like this. He's like the, the kind big brother. He makes you feel very secure in your thinking or it's secure into having to make some changes in your life. So I look at just like I said, they're, they're pretty much talking about the exact same things at times, but it's just the degrees in which they deliver it. I like to look at that contradiction. I like to see people taking different directions to the same destination right there. Again, pick the people in the industry that you're in or maybe not and find another person in that same industry and how they present and just kind of see the varying degrees. And then you got to decide which one of those people are a little bit more like me. Am I the right. fiery guy, really dynamic, really engaging, or I'm the one. Some people may not have that personality to be that engaging and cracking the jokes and anything like that, but you don't, it doesn't mean that you have to be bored at the same time. <laughs> right. So you don't have even, to end up being Ben Stein <laughs> you know, Bueller, Bueller. Even the, even the jokes that bomb sometimes work in your favor because all of a sudden people are paying attention. They're exactly. like, man, that, that joke really sucked. But the fact that they even acknowledge that it sucked means that they're actually paying attention. Exactly. And then, so that, now they're like, well, I, wonder, well, I wonder what he's going to say next. So like, sometimes how does that he redeem himself after that crap? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> sometimes that works. It just breaks people out of their, their pattern. They're, they're, they're thinking that you're going to say something and then you say something totally different. They're like, whoa, the pattern break. And when you break that pattern, people all of a sudden start paying attention now. Right. I think the other thing I've noticed with a lot of really good speakers is they change levels. They're yeah. not speaking in the same tone throughout the entire presentation. Exactly. This is a, in other words, like a, like a certain, certain music where it's just thrash metal, right? Where it's yeah. just the same exact melody all the way through. There's no changing the levels. It doesn't get slower or lighter or heavier or anything. There's no breakdown. There's no break. Exactly. You, you just shut off after a while. But music where it's constantly changing levels piques your interest, keeps you in there. It's like a TV show where they keep on having twists and turns, so you have to pay attention to exactly. see where it's going to go next. It's not just like, all right, all right, this I know what's going to happen now. So when a lot of public speakers, they, they either come out too hard where they're like, bam, 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 bam. And that's only going to work for maybe 10, 15 minutes, and then people become immune, and they shut off. And they're not hearing a word you're saying after that. Or you come off too soft and they exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you, you kind of have to change levels, take pauses, be comfortable with the whole thing. Realize that you know, every, every time I've given a presentation, I always have a moment where I go blank. The difference between now and that time I referenced in my book where I panicked is I don't freak out anymore now. I mean, I go blank at every, con I mean, every concert, every workshop I teach where I'll be talking, and then I'm like, what the hell am I talking about? And then I have to pause for a second. Oh, I'm like, okay, that's what I'm talking about. Or I'll even make a joke to the group. I was like, you know what, guys? I lost my train of thought. Yeah, I I had a serious, okay, I just had a serious brain fart. Right. And someone will be like, oh, you were talking about left. And I'm like, okay, that's right. Thank, Thank you. And then right. you keep going. <laughs> and then you keep going. And then people kind of laugh at that and shows a little bit of vulnerability on you. You don't have to be Mr. Perfect up there nailing every single point. 
I think I think you, you honestly public speaking presenting is a lot of fun actually if it's a topic you care about and oh, you're yeah. interacting with the audience and you're having a here, here's here's the simple answer to this question if you're having a good time they're going to be having a good time they're going to pick up on it man yeah. it's, it's no different than when I would DJ there would be people I, like man I was watching you spin up there man you like you were having a lot of fun so I started having yeah. fun. Yeah, like, like, man. I was I was having fun I was thoroughly right. cuz I was playing music that I like and I feel like man this is a badass song how can you not like this song? And they saw that, and they picked up on it. They didn't even know what some of the stuff was, because most of the stuff I played was dance music that came from, like, the U.K., came from Europe. So a lot of that music hadn't even made it over to the U.S. So it was a lot of those type of records. So it would be to the point, like, dude, what is that? That sounds great. And, man, it looks like you were, you were loving it up there. Where can I get <laughs> yeah. that? So, I remember uh, when Destiny's Child did this one performance, and they, they brought up, Magic Johnson and two other guys. I don't remember the two other guys for what I'm about to say, but they brought up three guys and then they gave all of them lap dances. And I'm not talking about like a, a Las Vegas lap dance or something <laughs> like that, right? It's a little bit, you know, it's just like a sensual dance. Now, Magic Johnson's smile was so big, it was literally ear to ear. It was like burned in my memory because you're like, man, look how much fun he's having up there, right? <laughs> well, the other two guys looked like they were like panicking, like they didn't know what to do. And that's why I don't remember them at all. <laughs> but, you know, you can't help but be like, man, look how much, look, look, look what a good time he's having up there. Look at Magic sitting up there with that Kool-Aid smile, man. Look at- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is probably like 12 years ago or something that I saw this, and it's burned in my memory because oh, man. That, that's, that's the effect of someone having a good time. If yeah. someone's presenting and they're having fun, you're going to remember it. Just like we were talking about with concerts, how we've both been to concerts where the band comes out and they're crushing it. You can tell these guys love it, or just these women are loving it. Whoever the present, whoever the performer is, and then we've seen bands where everything sounds right, they're, but but you can just tell they're just going through the motions. Yeah, it's like they just showed up for work that day. Like, uh. like someone told them where they are before they got on stage. What city are we in? Oh, we're in Houston. Cool. Hey, okay. Houston. Oh, we love coming through Houston. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you can just tell that something about it, especially if you're close to the stage. Like well, Buck Cherry I saw a while back where we're close to the stage where you can see the facial expressions. And you're just yeah. like, man, this guy is he's either having an off night or it just looks like he doesn't really enjoy what he's doing right now. Right. And it comes through. It comes through. It affects the audience. Definitely. So, yeah, there you go right there. So that, that, that's a good way to start right there as far as yeah. handling public speaking and how to approach that. So, dude, speak about what you love. Even if we talk about something that Mike, Mike and I even talk about something that we just despise, we're still speaking about that with passion. We're passionate <laughs> right. hating that. <laughs> still something you're passionate I don't talk about. about. If I'm not passionate about it, whether it's positive or negative, I'm not going to talk about it. Right. So if your service totally sucks and you just went up this restaurant that I know the service sucks there, I'm going to passionately tell you why I will never eat at that damn place again. That's right. passion. Now, if you sit there and say, hey, how do you feel about In-N-Out Burger? Oh, cool. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't love it or hate it. It's just there. I've been there a couple of times. It was nothing. It didn't leave a big impression on me. So yeah, there's a I, difference. If I have to give a lecture on the difference between brown and white rice, it's not going to be that exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna well, one in brown, and, one white. And another thing I like about the white rice is it is contrast that with brown rice, where you put oregano on it. No, it's not going to be exciting. All right, it's not no, gonna be But now, if you talk to someone like Rachel Ray, she may get super excited about brown and white rice right. and can really break it down for you. But because that's in the industry, that's just something that she's involved in and she's passionate about. Yeah, for me, it's contagious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but but faking it is we know it's like we have a second. We have like a 
a, a, another insight which allows us to, it's like a bullshit detector. We're just sitting there listening to it going, you know what, this person doesn't seem like they're remotely interested at all in what he or she is saying. It's like, okay. why should I be in, so why should I be interested? Exactly. Now, you don't care, why should I? Yeah, that'll wrap it up this time. Just keep those questions coming in. We'll try to answer as many of them as possible on future shows. And, and again, uh, we're getting more through. feedback on iTunes, so please keep leaving us your positive feedback or any feedback on iTunes for the show. And also, finally, don't forget to use coupon code LLA to get 10% off my nutrition supplement products and Sincere's video, 30% off his. Off my video. And also with those reviews, don't forget that Mike and I will hook you up with a little gift. You know, when you email Mike or myself and let us know that you left your review and Mike, you are going to provide them with what? Yeah, I'm going to give them a hormone lecture series. It's a $50 value, eight hours of great material. I've already had 10 people in the last day email me with their, actually not uh, 10 people, I'm sorry, five people add reviews and shoot me their reviews who, who have gotten this free gift. So, I mean, right. don't miss out on it. Yeah, I'm also giving you guys a digital copy of the Wellness Code book. $20 value right there. Just to show our appreciation for your reviews. Like I said, Mike, uh, we talked about this on a show a couple of weeks ago. We're trying to get up to the 100 reviews, man. And on each one of these reviews, it's not even so much about just trying to get to 100 and get to this number. What it does is really help Mike and myself produce a better show for you. Because that's why we're doing this, man. I mean, yeah, we love to talk. We love to talk to each other. We like to share our ideas. But we're listening to you guys, and the feedback you give us helps us create the show that better fits you. We definitely appreciate that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great to get all the feedback. And like Les Sincere was saying, even, even some of the more constructive, critical feedback is fine. You have a right to feel whatever you feel when you listen to the show. You know, neither one of us are going to take it personally, and it's going to make us go back and evaluate whatever we're saying. You know, we're, we have a very freestyle show where we're not going to censor ourselves and, and try to please the public necessarily by being something we're not. But that doesn't mean that we don't appreciate the advice and we don't take it to heart because a lot of it is, is very useful in improving right. the show and so forth. And uh, that's about it. Now I've got some workshops. Actually, by the time this show comes out, I'll probably be done yeah. with those workshops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when this one comes uh, out, you will be on your way back home, buddy. <laughs> yep, that's right. I'm gonna, i got a whole lot of nothing coming up by the time <laughs> this show comes out. Working on the podcast and my Restorezyme product, which... Actually, as we're recording this, I'm doing a pre-release special, but by the time it comes out, it will be on my website, fulfilling orders, and you can use that same coupon code LLA to get 10% off any nutrition product I carry. And yeah, just gonna don't make sure that you're paying attention to our show when we get closer to Thanksgiving, Christmas, because we're yeah. going to have some surprises then. Yeah, buddy. So cool. So everybody, thanks for tuning in. Keep your feedback coming. Keep those reviews coming on iTunes and also on Stitcher for those of you with Android phones and listening through, through your Android. So keep it coming, and we will talk to each and every one of you next week. Take care, everyone. Take care.